Hello and welcome to our self-isolation special retrospection podcast in a change from our normal show. We've each put together a day's retro TV schedule, a list of shows and films that would run from around 9am to 12pm. So when you can't leave your house, settle in and join us for a day's viewing fun. Hello, my name's Colin and if I hear anybody laugh, one wisecrack, one sneaker out of any of you, I'll turn you into a toad. And I'm Paul, and I like my ready break lumpy, please. Of course you do. You like everything lumpy. I do. Well, you've got to strain it through your teeth, otherwise you don't get the goodness out of it, do you? Oh, it's amazing you've still got teeth. <laughs> yeah, got a few, not many. But okay. <laughs> so we're each going to take turns with our selections, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. this is a new one for us, isn't it? Yeah. So we've got, I mean, I don't know how accurate your times are. Mine are not very accurate. And also, I realize I would be fired if I was a scheduling person because (laughs) I schedule stuff in like mid-morning and then I watched the episode and I was like, this is harrowing. What's it doing at 11 (laughs) a.m.? Oh, I don't think I've actually done anything like that, but I know what you mean. Okay. And as far as the time, as far as the timing goes, I've kind of rounded everything up to the nearest hour or half hour. Yeah, yeah. So we may have, I may have more, you may have more. Depends how many half hour shows you've done, right? Yeah, and and and, and to keep it in with the retro theme, I mean, those extra minutes were were things finished. It would be the time where you'd get up and make a brew, or I get up and open a tin of spaghetti hoops. Or it'd be the test card with the woman with the chalkboard. Oh, yeah. Do you remember her? Wait, whoa, hold on a second. That was a bit of a... <laughs> oh, I just went, do you remember her? <laughs> yeah, but first you went, whoa, yeah, do you remember her? <laughs> she was a child, Colin. Yeah, so were you, the outfit at the yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, so it's all like good. A, wasn't there a little, a little purple guy that used to sit with her? Uh, it was a puppet. Well, well, yeah, like a clown, yeah. a clown puppet. That was it, yeah. yeah. He was purple, wasn't he? I'm not sure if he was purple. He may be. I can't remember the colour. Well, I mean, I'm kind of colorblind, so he may not have been purple. He was bright yellow. (laughs) Well, he looked purple to me. So, Paul, what are you going to start your morning of self-isolation with? So, 9 a.m., I'm going to get up. I'm going to have my... uh... Sorry, just getting up at 9 a.m., that was a surprise right there. Well, well, this is all all fictitious, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. It's an idealised version of life. Ah, right, right, right. Nine <clears throat> am, I get up. I'd fix myself some uh, cocoa pops or possibly some ready break, as I, as I indicated earlier. Mm. And I think I'd pop on an episode of Space Sentinels from 1977, and uh, particularly the episode that I that I picked was episode two, which was uh, called Space Giants. Does it involve giants? Is this a cartoon? I don't think I know this show. Uh, well, it was a what it was about was a trio of uh, teenage superheroes, although they all look about thirty-five. It's a cartoon. Oh, okay. Wait, they can't even draw them the right age. Not really. They do look about thirty-five. Yeah. That's weird. And yeah. and they represent three different racial groups, um, and they use their powers to fight against the forces of evil. It ran for one season of thirteen episodes Ooh. in 1977, but it was okay. always repeated when I was a kid in the early 80s. Right. Um, so the characters that you had were Hercules, pretty self-explanatory. You had uh, Mercury, who was an Asian guy with uh, speed powers. Okay. And you had Astria, who was an African-American woman who could change into any form uh, and somehow 
all three of them could fly. Oh, of course. Why not? Was this yep, yep. show part of something else? Like, was it shown in something or is it its own? I think it was part of Swap Shop, but it was an oh, American show. Okay, right. Yeah. It's a cartoon that they showed. It's a cartoon that they showed. Um, it's, it's kind of that got that filmation look about it. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> just not much animation the frames <laughs> so the hideout was in a volcano and uh, they were aided by a supercomputer because you had to have one of those back then didn't you was it just a voice like uh, a no, flashing it, light or did it no, it, was a, it was a gigantic um floating head holographic floating head actually oh okay yeah uh and they had a, a cute little uh Robot sidekick, obviously, because everything did back then as well, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. and it had a cracking, funky soundtrack. It was great. How did it go? Uh, <laughs> There's a, a lot of wacka wackers in it. A lot of wacka wackers. Oh, wacka wackers, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, fun. I've got a fun fact for you about it. I've tried to. I've tried to intersperse fun facts all through uh, my schedule. Oh, this is new. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So the, the character model of Hercules in the show was actually reused for the initial designs of He-Man when they were doing the He-Man cartoon back in 1983. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can see it. If you see it, you 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 you, you yeah. spot yeah. it straight away. When, when are you going to tell me your fun fact? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Oh. So the, the the episode that I checked, uh, that I picked was uh, called Space Giants, and uh, according to IMDb, it was about a trio of enormous robots. Uh, sent to rob a government vault in the desert, uh, but realizing that they're superior to humans, they build an army of robots to destroy us. Wow. And if anyone wants to go and find it, it is on YouTube. Oh, excellent. Is it like 20 minutes long or something? They're about 20, 23 minutes long, something okay. like that. Yeah. yeah. The costumes were kind of a mix of all superhero outfits, with, but with that kind of Greek god aesthetic to them, you know. The more you describe it, I think I remember it, but it wasn't a favourite of mine. Oh, I never missed it. Oh. Never missed it. Yeah, I think that's probably what started my, my love of superheroes, to be honest. Really? Yeah, Space so, Sentinels. So that's what we should blame. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. yeah. So what's your choice? Well, it's no surprise, but my 9am choice is Willow the Wisp. Below the Wisp. Yeah, a series of five-minute cartoons about a group of inhabitants of a forest. And uh, this is IMDb telling us this. Willow the Wisp is a sprite formed from gas who narrates each story. Other characters include Evil Edna, a witch shaped like a TV set, an old-fashioned TV set, I should point out. Yes, yeah, so didn't she have the, the aerial things sticking out the top of her head? Yes, they were what cast her spells. Yes, that was and, it. And yeah. the TV stand was her legs. Yes. Yeah. And we have Mavis, who was a rather overweight furry. She couldn't fly because of her weight, but everyone loved her as she was, although she was always concerned about that. God, I, didn't, I never realised that these episodes had so much depth through them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then okay. there was other characters like the Moog and the Argonauts, which were aliens that flew in a mushroom. Ah, uh, when was this? Seventies. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I think we know. We know what was going on there. Then. <laughs> Actually, I think it's eighty-one. There's still mushrooms involved. 
All the voices were done by Kenneth Williams. Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. Well done, Paul. Nice impression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Will of the Wisp itself was actually drawn to look like Kenneth Williams. Yes, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and we had Arthur, who was a gruff East End caterpillar. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of the protagonist in the show. Kenneth Williams turned up a lot on kids' TV back then, though, didn't he? Didn't he do a few Jack and Uri's as well? Yes, he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's funny, but I've noticed that a lot of comedians do children's television well, in the UK. At them, aren't they? I think a lot of comedians are very good at doing voices. Mm, yeah. And Kenneth Williams was certainly good at that. Yeah. And the episode I've chosen is episode 17, and it's Boring Old Edna. And this, well, in this episode, Arthur the Caterpillar, he's kind of tired of evil Edna because she's always trying to ruin things. And he gets a woodworm who has a Asian accent. Okay. But it's, right. it's not a dodgy accent. It's okay. Doesn't, and this is Kenneth Williams doing that Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. But it doesn't make fun of different words or stuff. It's just because every what, character in this show has a different accent. What does he sound like, Colin? I'm not doing it. We've been banned from that. <laughs> but he gets this woodworm to eat her wooden cabinet away. So evil Edna is nude. Wow. Yeah. And then they she got away with back then. I know, right? You can see you can see all her wiring. Can you? Oh, wow. oh yeah. <laughs> and weirdly, her knobs. <laughs> well, if it was Kenneth Williams, it'd have to be knobs, wouldn't it? The wood. Uh, and then she puts on like this fatch thing and then tells people that if you laugh at this, I'm going to turn you into a toad. And of course, Arthur, who's uh, he just can't stop himself from laughing. He's turned into a toad and the episode finishes. <laughs> <laughs> what can you say? Not much, <laughs> but it's five minutes of what? <laughs> okay. Probably makes a lot of sense if you're either stoned or drunk. Uh, yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that Wheel of the Wisp was so complicated. I don't. I, I mean, I, I'm a fan of Wheel of the Wisp. But I haven't seen it in years, and I don't remember it being so um, strange. I, yeah, this. it's kind of tr- strange. I think, especially, I think it's strange because. The, the characters and the accents, they seem almost adult-like in what they're saying and doing, even though it's yeah. like a furry land. And I think this is one of the things that English children's shows of the 70s and 80s does. Is there's a lot of stuff that kids don't get, but adults are going, oh, okay. There's a little bit of that today, I think, because obviously I've seen a lot of, of modern kids' shows, either having one. <laughs> but... um. But yeah, I'd agree. I think back then it, there, there was a lot of stuff that that, um, that that probably went over their heads more than it does now. Yeah, yeah. So as I've done a five-minute show, should I do my next one? Yeah, go on. Okay, 9.05, we're going with Charlton and the Wheelies. <laughs> no, this is not a shock for me. This I, I thought you were going to pick this. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Because it's some, I know it's something that you like. Okay. You used to do the voice all the time, I remember. Hello, little old lady. That's the one, yeah. 
So IMDB says, a wonderfully eccentric series about Charlton, a happy-go-lucky dragon, named after a suburb of Manchester. Charlton? Is that a suburb of Manchester? I guess. I didn't know that's where the name came from. Uh, who unintentionally foils the evil schemes of a mad Welsh kettle witch who tries to stop Charlton and the wheelies having fun. More drugs. <laughs> Possibly. This was a stop-motion show that ran from 1975 to 1978, and it's set in Wheelie World because all the characters have three wheels. You know why they have three wheels? No. Easy to animate. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because they're all sort of, they're, like you said, they're all stop motion, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> uh, and uh, the kettle witch, Fenella, she's always coming up with plots to kind of get rid of Charlton because she doesn't like the fact that Charlton makes the wheelies happy. Okay. Yeah. And I've chosen episode five, which is Charlton and the Crime Wave, which is where Fenella starts to commit crimes and then leaves evidence pointing to the fact that it's Charlton who did it. Oh, that's a classic Sweeney plot, that is. <laughs> We're the Sweeney. Hello, little lady. <laughs> uh, so what, what, why do you like this, then? Because you've always liked this show. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just because Charlton cracks me up. Because the dialogue, there's something... You could take the dialogue in two different ways. You could take it at face value, where it's just a kid's show, but there's a, there's a hint of innuendo about certain things that are said and done, and it's a bit more sophisticated than you would expect. It's also just stupidly fun, and it's, it's kind of wacky too. I think it's the kind of thing that, that um, the UK has always done really well, this kind of stuff. Right. Will of the and, and Chortle and the Wheelies, and there's a couple of other ones as well, which are really out there, things like Mr. Ben and things like that. Yeah, you know. yeah. I think it says something about us, I think. I think it does, yeah. Mm. Mm. Not sure what, no. though. <laughs> Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good choice. I like that. I, I like Chortle and the, and the Wheelies as well. I think I used to see it more uh, when I was, quote-unquote, Having a day off sick. Yeah, I got a feeling it was a, it was in midday, right? I think it was for some yeah. reason. Yeah, well, they used to do that a lot, didn't they? That's when Mister Ben used to be on as well. And the other thing that's strange about these shows, like Will All the Wiffs, Charlton and the Wheelies, and then other shows that I don't have in my list, like Bag Pusses, there wasn't really many episodes made. But in my mind, there's hundreds of them. I think it's just because that they were so heavily rotated when yeah, we were kids. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, the things like um, Finger Mouse. Yes, yes, Tom, um, Thomas the Tank Engine. Thomas, no, the not, other one. Not Thomas the Tank Engine, sorry. Ivor uh, the Engine. Ivor the Engine, Ivor. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they were midday stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but there's not many of them made. No, no, but, but they were always on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good, good. I, I, I approve of those two. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad I have to... <laughs> Paul's, let's just stamp it. Paul's seal of approval. <laughs> Damn right, yeah. That'll change <laughs> shortly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you could neither disapprove or approve of my first choice because you didn't know what it was. So That's true, yeah, yeah. This could change soon, but I think you'll be all right with my, with my second choice. All right. So at 9.30, I've chosen an episode of Battle of the Planets. 
Oh, yes. The episode I've chosen is episode two, The Rescue of the Astronauts. Um, the Battle of the Planets was a, a cartoon show that ran from 1978 to 1980 for 85 episodes, believe it or not. I didn't know there were so many. Yeah, 85. I mean, uh, the show was actually... Um, well, I'll, I'll get to what the show was, but it was a, it was about a five-member superhero team. Superheroes, again. Yeah, you love your superheroes. They were called G-Force, and they fight to defend the Earth and its space colonies, apparently, uh, from the threat of the planet Spectra. Oh. None, none of mm -hmm. this I knew. <laughs> no, I didn't think it did. <laughs> the, the, the show was actually... Um, it was mostly footage from existing Japanese anime series called Gatchaman. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it was it, it was all tweaked for US audiences. Um, they took out most of the violence and they added a robot character called uh, Seven Sark Seven. Oh, he wasn't in the original. No, no, no. He was. Um, I mean, he kind of looked like R2D2. Yes. Yeah. And he was there to. Um, tie all the footage together and create a story that was completely different from the original story that they'd taken the footage from. Right. Huh. So you got props for that, because that's quite a clever thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, that seemed to go on a lot more back then, because I'm thinking of Monkey, Monkey Magic. Yes, because their plots were completely different than the actual plots. Yes, and the uh, dubbing was very loose <laughs> <laughs> compared to the original. <laughs> So the characters in Battle of the Planets were uh, Keop, uh, voiced by uh, Alan Young. You know Alan Young? You're going to have to tell me. I'm not sure. Oh, very old um, uh, movie actor. If you, if you IMDb'd him. Thanks for narrowing it down there, Paul. Oh, he's in tons of... The people okay. know Alan. All right. Yeah. Uh, Keop spoke in kind of... Um, like he had, he had issues, let's say. Oh, like yeah. a lisp? He was kind of talking a nonsensical um, brain injury kind of way, let's say. And then you had Jason, uh, Princess. Yeah. What, what did you think of Princess, Paul? I thought that she was very inter interestingly drawn for, um, you know, six-year-old me at the time. Yeah, okay. You're looking at pictures of them now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just remembering you... You know, what possible thoughts you could have had about Princess? Oh, I had a few. Yeah. Um, uh, Tiny. And um, we had Casey Kasem as uh, Mark. You remember Casey Kasem? Yeah. America's top ten. America's yeah. top, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the villain Zolta was voiced by uh, Key Luke. Uh, Key Luke was um, quite an old actor at the time. He'd been in a lot of Charlie Chan movies from the 1940s. But people probably remember him most as the... Um, Curiosity, if I can say it, curiosity shop owner in Gremlins. Oh, okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, costumes. It also appeared in a TV series that I'm suspicious might appear in your list later. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? Not totally sure, because you've gone I off. You've gone off the show. I've gone off the show. Yeah, it's not as high up as it used to be, but. Back in 1988 when it was on. Holy <laughs> crap. We couldn't... <laughs> never stop talking about it. So we'll see. Yes, we will. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to... I'm not going to spoil it for you. Okay. I'm going to keep you on edge now. You're going to be waiting for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
so the costumes were um they were kind of a fantastic um mixture of birds with sort of um they had a beaked helmet and feathered style capes yeah um i thought it looked great the soundtrack was fantastic it, again it was it was really funky 70s soundtrack i don't know whether the soundtrack the music was was from the original gacha man or whether they put it on themselves but yeah i don't know either was the ship called the phoenix is that right yeah it could turn into a fiery phoenix that's right yeah so this episode that i chose episode two um rescue of the astronauts was um it was about two astronauts returning from a mission and they disappear upon re-entry that's the worst place to uh disappear uh, depends <laughs> you gotta get out of there quick <laughs> <laughs> you know and G-Force are called in to investigate. And um, I always remember the voiceover um, for Battle of the Planets at the beginning that, that kind of told you what was happening. Um, and it had this line in it that said, they're watching for alien attacks from beyond space. Oh, where's that? <laughs> beyond what's space? Beyond what's beyond space? space? More space? Yeah. Because you just said they're, they're expect attacks from... More space. <laughs> Which was the forerunner to MySpace. Oh, very good. That's a, that dates us, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> if we were doing this podcast uh, 15 years ago, we'd be all right, wouldn't we? Be we'd be amazing because the... we'd be the first to do podcasts. <laughs> no. Trendsetters. Yeah. Uh, do you remember that Seven Zark Seven was always trying to get off with Susan, the sexy computer? Vaguely, yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I like Susan. She had a nice voice. Let's let's move on. <laughs> yes, I think we're done there. <laughs> so, what's your next choice, Colin? Well, I'm still at nine ten because all mine are really short at this point. But I'm going for Danger Mouse. Oh, of course. <laughs> okay. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course. So, IMDb says Danger Mouse, the greatest secret agent in the world, must follow Colonel K's orders. And try not to break Professor Squawk and Clock's inventions. But I don't remember Professor Squawk and Clock being in the original. I thought she was a character created for the reboot that came yeah. recently. I remember that. So, that's strange. To file Baron Greenback and his henchman Stiletto's plans. So this is an animated TV series from 1981. It was originally voiced by David Jason and Terry Scott. Mm-hmm. And Deja Mouse is a superhero. Mouse that lives in a post box, and he's ably assisted by his sidekick, Penfold. And they are both sent... Go on. Would you, Sorry, would you call him a superhero? I thought he was more kind of like a, a spy. Yeah, I mean, IMDb calls him a superhero, but all right. Spy. Okay. The spy's fine. I don't mind. I, I mean, I'm not arguing, arguing the semantics of Danger Mouse with you. I think you are. But should we go deep? We're going to go deep <laughs> on Danger Mouse. rest of the <laughs> podcast is just about Danger Mouse. Is he a spy? <laughs> is he a superhero? Is he a rodent? What is the defining line between the both? I mean, is James Bond a superhero? Kind of is sometimes. Not anymore. Why? I mean, he, he runs through walls now. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. Uh, so in this episode, it's called The Four Tasks of Danger Mouse, and it's from the second series, and it's the sixth episode. And in this, Baron Greenback has kidnapped Penfold and Danger Mouse has to get four items 
from around the world to rescue Penfold. And the last item are feathers from a vampire duck. Vampire duck? Yeah, and this is the first time that we see Count Duckula. Really? Yeah, this is where he first appeared, and all Count Duckula wants to do is become famous on television. He wants to be a TV star, an actor. And he does. He gets his wish, doesn't he? Because he, get, he gets his own sh- yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Didn't know that. No, what did Count Duck drink? Because it wasn't blood, was it? It was ketchup. That's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but not, none of this is in this episode because it's really like early days for the character. Right, okay. He's just a loud duck that's a vampire at this point. Uh, there's a lot of like uh, jokes that are very Tex Avery in nature, so going off of mountains and stuff. It's also a lot of uh, cheap animation that they used to do, uh, you know, people in dark rooms with just the eyes showing. In this one, it's the fog of London because <laughs> they're trying to get the fog monster. Oh, no, now you've said that. It's kind of ringing a bell with me, this now. Is it ringing a bell in the fog? Dong. <laughs> dong. <laughs> dong. Yeah, you like a big dong. Oh, oh dear me. Oh, don't worry, Paul. I've got worse than that later. Have you? Have you? I'm yeah. surprised that you haven't mentioned, gone into the whole penfold thing, to be honest. Well, oh God, <laughs> I think that I like this show so much because it reminds me of one of my best friends. Who's that then? It's a guy called John, and <laughs> <laughs> he looks remarkably like Penfold. Does he? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's a cross between Penfold and Ed the Duck. What? <laughs> it's got the hairstyle of Ed the Duck. Oh, right, okay. All right. Yeah. I see. All right. Uh, anyway, I, I really like Danger Mouse. I like I like the fact that it's David Jason and Terry Scott. Some great jokes in it. I also like the fact that they've rebooted it now, and it is still funny now. And one of the reasons it's funny now is because they use a lot of comedy writers, sitcom writers, to write the episodes. Yeah, it, it is. It's one of the few times that something gets, gets um, brought back, and it's just as good as it was back then. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good show. And I can always, like, throw on an episode of Danger Mouse and it kills 20 minutes and I'm happy. Is it still David Jason? No, it's uh, Alexander Armstrong. Oh, yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. As yeah, Danger Mouse. Yeah. Penfold is Kevin Eldon. Ah, okay. Yeah. And mm. Colonel K. Stephen Fry. They all sound a lot like the predecessors, though, don't they? Which is probably why they were picked. Yeah, they do. And now they, they have, uh, I think Richard Aoadi has been in it mm-hmm. as well, playing a character. I think John Oliver's been in it as well, hasn't he? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think Richard Aoadi plays the snowman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some. it's a great, it's a good show. And I, I like it the is. original, I like the new one. Fantastic. So what, what have you got next? You might as well do another one to get us up to 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah, this will, because this is half an hour, this one. And I think this one will be a little bit of a surprise. Okay, here we go. I'm ready. The monkeys. The monkeys? Yes. Hey, hey. (laughs) Go on, then. Go on, do the rest. (laughs) We're the monkeys. (laughs) Yeah, so IMDB. Sorry, go on. 
sang one of those songs at my wedding, you know. You did? Yeah, I'm a believer. Oh, that was wishful thinking. Yeah, I know, I did pick it. <laughs> so IMDB says, The Misadventures of a Struggling Rock Band. And that's it. That's all IMDB says. <laughs> Good old IMDB. Yeah. Uh, so, so, go on. No, I was just going to say, tell me about the monkeys then. <laughs> well, so the monkeys ran from 1966 to 1971, and it did follow the exploits of an American pop band, but of course, they grew larger than the series itself and became a band themselves. Yeah, they weren't, though, were they, at first? They were, they were put together for, for the TV show, weren't they? They were a manufactured pop band. One of the first? Yeah, I think so. And then they released an album, but the album had them as being the musicians, and the Monkees were not happy about this at all because they always publicly admitted that they were actors pretending to be a band. So mm. when the producers and the music people faked it they were like no this is nonsense and so they actually got rid of the music supervisor at this point they fired him and they started to learn how to do their instruments and they wrote their own songs and then they actually became a real band because they were like unhappy about the idea of being a fraud yeah and because of what they finally ended up as they're, they're often um Named as kind of like the American Beatles, aren't they, of the time? Beatles loved them. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, publicly. They, not just for the fact that they were comedians and actors, but also for the music as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the show because I've forgotten how insane it is, how it breaks the rules. I mean, and the episode I've chosen is the fifth episode, and it's called The Spy Who Came In From The Cool. And obviously, it's a parody of spy films. Uh, Mm -hmm. The monkeys are mistaken for Russian spies when they accidentally buy a pair of maracas that contain a hidden microtape. Pair of what? Pair of maracas. Oh, for some reason in the show, a lot of people keep saying it, maracas. Maracas? Yeah, I'm not sure why. Okay. Uh, Wasn't the monkeys uh, English? uh, One of them was, right? Yeah. Davy mm-hmm. Jones? Davy Jones, that was him. Yeah. 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 So uh, this show, has a, obviously, it has a lot of jokes about spy films, uh, spy TV shows. It also has a lot of uh, breaking the fourth wall. There's one where they have a lamp and David rubs the lamp and then a genie appears and she's dressed like the character from I Dream of Genie. Oh. Right. And she's like, Master... What would you like? And he just looks at the camera and goes, what do you know? Wrong show. And then leaves. <laughs> so there's a lot of, a lot of in, stuff like that. And actually, we'll see some of these kind of jokes in a later series that I've chosen. But I think oh. it's just a fun thing. And also, I like the monkeys music as well. I, do you know what? I didn't know that about you. You didn't know I love the monkeys? Oh, yeah. Headquarters no, is a beautiful monkeys. album. Yeah. Love the monkeys. Didn't they do kind of an experimental movie? Later, uh, head, head. That's it. Jack Nicholson's involved in it. Yes, isn't he? great film. Yeah. It's about really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's about like it's them exploring themselves as actors and a fake band trying to seem relevant in a time that they're not and moving. It's a great film. It really is. So there's still monkeys in it. Yes, they're in it. 
Mm-hmm. No, I mean, they're, they're still playing. Yeah, yeah, they're ha- playing the monkeys, but they're playing it very differently. So this was after the, the TV yes. show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, okay. Interesting. I might have to go. Oh, it's, it's one of those movies that, I, that I, I've always heard about but never actually seen, so I think I should go and take, you know, look for that, I think. Even if you don't, like, enjoy it, it's still interesting. Oh, I, I love a lot of um, um, particularly late 60s, early 70s kind of experimental um, nonsense. Okay. Best way to put it, but I do like all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, well, that'll definitely fit into that category if that is really a category. Well, I, I've got something in that category coming up later. So. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay, so 10 a.m. And what a surprise. It's more superheroes. <laughs> is it just... Is it just going to be a day of superhero stuff? It's not. No, oh, I think this. Okay. This, okay. I, I can't swear to it, but I think this could be the last time. Oh, all right. Right. I'll hold you to this. Yeah. Oh, don't do that. Never hold me to anything. No. Um, so 10 a.m. and I've picked an episode of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which okay. was a TV show, TV show cartoon series that ran from 1981 to 1986 for three seasons. How many episodes in a season? Roughly. Uh, about 12, but okay. I think one of the, I think season two only had four for some reason. Oh, all right. I should check. I've got it on a box set, so believe it or not. Of course you <laughs> I like the way you went, believe it or not. Oh, yeah, I believe it. There's no need <laughs> to add that bit. <laughs> so I've chosen episode seven, Seven Little Superheroes. I'm sure you can imagine what that one's about. It's about eight little superheroes. <laughs> But it's actually a play on uh, Ten Little Indians. Ah, okay. Oh, that's that, I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the show is about um, Spider-Man, obviously, um, battling crime in New York with the help of Iceman and Firestar. And they all live together in an apartment uh, with Firestar's small dog called Ms. Lion. Now, for some reason, Firestar sticks in my mind. I don't know why, Colin. No, no, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not a big superhero fan, so there must be something about that character. Is it a woman? It is a woman, yes. Okay. <clears throat> now, she, Firestar was actually a character that was created specifically for this TV show. She wasn't from the comics. Uh, so I must have seen this series at some point. I'm sure you did. It used to be on um, Going Live. Then, yes, I would have seen it then, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty sure, as you say, my love of Firestar as a seven-year-old boy had nothing to do with a skin-tight costume. Absolutely not, Paul. Not at all. No, no, not at all. Um, apparently, the, the, the tiny little dog, Ms. Lion, was actually one of the deciding factors for selling the show to um, NBC. Wait. They wanted a tiny dog in it. The dog was important. The dog was important to NBC. They had to have the dog. Otherwise, they weren't going to take it. Okay. Uh, All right. (laughs) Let's just let that one go. It's good to know that TV companies made decisions back then just like they do today. Apparently. Hmm. So on the show, the the characters teamed up with other Marvel superheroes like Captain America, the Black Knight, and the X-Men. And um, the show featured voice talents of people like... uh, uh, Dan Gilvzan, 
Kathy Garver and the great Frank Welker, who's pretty much in every cartoon series from the 80s that we watched. Hmm, okay. Uh, and it also had narration from Stan Lee. Oh, so he actually gets something to do yeah, in this. He, he used to open every episode. All right. Receivers. Every episode is, is how he used to, to start every episode. Uh, on this episode... It's kind of, as I said, it's kind of a riff on Tenet Lindian. So a mysterious stranger invites Spider-Man and his friends uh, to his uh, isolated country house. And he also invites the Submariner, Shana the She-Devil. She was a new one on me. Yeah, never heard of her. Captain America and uh, Doctor Strange. Uh, and his place is called Wolf Island. And Spider-Man goes? I mean... Oh, he goes all right. Oh, Don't you okay. that? All right. Oh, you mean does he go? Yes, he goes. Oh, okay. Because I, I, I mean, it sounds a bit strange. Why would you? I wouldn't go. Well, the show's very. It's very kiddified. It's it's it's, the plots weren't particularly a reflection of what was going on in the comics at the time. It it, it was very much simplified, which is kind of one of the things that I like about it. You like simple stuff. <laughs> I knew as I said it. I shouldn't have said it. Um, it did always it used to make me laugh. I don't know if you remember. You may have seen it, but Iceman always used to leave a trail of ice all over the city wherever he went. That's right. I assume it melted at some point, right? I'd like to think so. Can you imagine if you're the the guy that has to go around chipping that away? I mean, what city is he in? New York. Okay, so in summer, fine. But in winter, that crap's there for days. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't like Oscar ice, man. He's a douche. <laughs> <laughs> Again, your way of getting to work. Yeah, absolutely. I want to, it's bad enough getting the seven train anyway without some ice man leaving ice trails in the way. <laughs> I, I, it's a good thing that his ice comes out of his fingers. What? You mean like if it came out of his ass? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Ass <laughs> ice man? Why is it brown? Oh, <laughs> oh dear. can you imagine? I did. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a there's a a moment in this episode that I've picked where um, the bad guy's called the chameleon because he can change shape. Obviously, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wait, change shape or just change color? Because chameleons no, you... don't change shape. I know, just go with it, all right? Okay, all right. They're famous for not changing shape. <laughs> so, so you, do you know the character Submariner? Yes, I do. He's, he's the Marvel version don't of look, Don't look so fucking surprised. Oh, I'm just... Well, you know, I don't know how much... Yeah, you, no, you... I do, I do know. So he gets his power from water, right? So he has to, he has to resubmerge into water every hour, otherwise his power levels dip. So every 60 minutes he has to... So in the episode, the chameleon tricks the submariner into diving into a pool of alcohol, which zaps his powers. Man, that would increase yours. <laughs> That's what I thought as I was watching it. Yeah, yes. you'd be like, there he's dived into... Why is he getting back up? It's not even touched him. What's going on? No! <laughs> Filed again. Where did he get all that alcohol? It must have took him ages to pour it into the swimming pool. He just got it from your fridge. 
I'm not stockpiling. Oh, yeah, it. right. Of course you're not. So what have you got for 10 o'clock then? Tell me oh, that. for 10 o'clock, I have the goodies. <laughs> so come on, tell me what the goodies is. As if I didn't know. Well, the goodies are a three-man agency whose brief is to do anything, anytime. This gives the series Kurt Blanche to do whatever it pleased with a cartoon like Surrealism and a heavy reliance on slapstick. That's IMDb. Yeah. Of yeah. course, we know that it's obviously three comedians, Bill Oddie, Tim Brooke Taylor, and Graham Garden. And this episode is season five, so it's one of the later... Seasons, mm-hmm. episode 12, and it's Bun Fight at the OKT Rooms. Sorry, what? What fight? Bun Fight. Oh, right, okay. okay. Cheap, cheap gag, Paul. You should be ashamed. <laughs> Why would we stop now? <laughs> I, I, I think you should use a singular. <coughs> oh, sorry. Why would I stop now? There we go. So in this episode, the goodies are broke, so they go out prospecting and they find a cream mine. But Graham gets greedy and wants all the cream to himself, leading to a tomato ketchup stained showdown between the three of them at the OKT rooms. <laughs> I remember the goodies as being kind of a, a, a Monty Python light. Yeah, I think, yeah, you could say that. It's weird because I remember them as being a, a kids show and then I've watched quite a few and there's a lot of nudity in it. Yes. It makes me think it wasn't wasn't really intended for kids after all. <laughs> did it make you think, I can't believe I was allowed to watch this? Yeah, well, actually, it made me think, did I really watch this at the time? Mm-hmm. I think we did. I, I, yeah. I remember it as a kid, yeah. I remember seeing those when they were new. Right, and this one's really, really way out there because they do. They find a mine in Cornwall that gives out cream. And then it's also a parody of westerns because there's a there's a there's a scene where they go to a saloon and uh, Graham's totally gone crazy. He's in charge and he's like the black cowboy, you know, where they wear the black uniform because he's yeah. the bad guy. And they're going to play cards against the other two, but they're not playing with cards. They're playing with toast. <laughs> so they've all got toast, and then for chips. They've got biscuits, <laughs> but they're treating it like it's real. Yeah. And then the cast Graham cheats, and what he does is he's got a toaster on the floor. Oh, yeah. So he's got his cards, which are toast, and then he uses his foot to f- pick the toaster, which fires up a piece of toast, which he catches and puts in his hand as an extra card. <laughs> which, of course, they all see this. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's just it's totally surreal. Again, though, seventies. Yeah, and there's also uh, Bill Oddie does all the music. There's some great music in episodes of The Goodies. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that you wouldn't you just just wouldn't see this kind of thing, though, would you? Oh no, it's not. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. But and there's also some good stunt work in various episodes as well. Uh, and there's yeah. just total weirdness. There's an episode where they go for the Loch Ness Monster and Oddie gets attacked by a bagpipe spider, which is a bagpipe yeah. with the the actual <laughs> pipe bits or its legs 
and it's making the noise of a bagpipe. It's actually quite scary when you... Because <laughs> it's making that noise that a deflating bagpipe makes as it's trying to attack him. Yeah, there, there's so much um, good stuff in the goodies. It's a shame that all, all most people tend to remember is the cat hanging off the um, the uh, telecom tower. Yeah, and that's why I didn't choose that episode. Yeah, everyone knows that one. Don't yeah, we? We, we always watch the goodies in our house. Oh, your whole family. Yeah, we used to. Which again, having seen it since and 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 noticing all the nudity that's in it, I'm shocked that I was allowed to watch it. Yeah, it's strange, right? But there was nudity everywhere back then, wasn't there? I mean, every week you would watch an episode of um, of Dave Allen and there'd be uh, boobies. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, when we it, yeah, when we it, say nudity, we're just meaning topless. We're not meaning everything, right? Yeah, and it just it just got it just got a pass because it was Dave Allen or it was yeah. the goodies thing. <laughs> I guess Very so. Different. different times, Paul. Yes. <laughs> So at ten thirty, I've gone for a movie. That's an early time for a movie. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a it's right a watching a, movie a morning movie. I don't feel right watching a movie at that time of day. Strange. Oh, it's a morning movie. It's a movie that used to used to be shown a lot on kids' telly in the summer, in the mornings. You know when um, they they always used to have a break in the summer, mm. and there never used to be things like Swap Shop or Going Live on. So they would put, put other things on right. in the morning. So I've gone with a sequel to a film that we've actually covered in the past. Oh, okay. I've gone with Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD from 19... Oh, sorry, from, say the year again, sorry. From 1966. Okay, all right, yeah, all right. I can Mm -hmm. see that, it's a good... For me, that'd be an afternoon film, but okay, I can see that, yeah. I think, it, I think I picked it for the morning because I think the first time I ever saw it was, was on BBC One, at, at, probably at this time in the morning. Right. I think they showed them um, back to back on consecutive weeks, and that was the first time I saw either of them. Uh, so the film stars Peter Cushing, Bernard Cribbins, Ray Brooks, Andrew Keir, Roberta Tovey, Jill, Jill Curzon. Um, and the plot is the Daleks plot to take over the Earth in 2150. And they get foiled by Doctor Who and his companions as they arrive from the 20th century. Now, am I right in remembering that he's not referred to as the Doctor in these films? He's referred to as the Professor? He's the Professor or actually Doctor Who. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah, Doctor Who. Um, I just think it's a great little adventure movie. Uh, It's the sequel to Doctor Who and the Daleks, which uh, see previous episode, which we talked about before, which I think was a hit for both of us, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we should probably do the sequel at some point. Yeah, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. Okay, all right, yeah. It's a colourful action-adventure film, isn't it, for kids? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We we should say that um, Peter Cushing plays a non-canocial doctor, doesn't he? Yeah, it's not considered part of the canon, right? But who knows what is these days, eh? (laughs) Hey, uh, let's not go there. (laughs) Because <laughs> it'll just upset you, pal. It will, it will. I don't want to get upset. I'm in a good mood. Okay. <laughs> uh, the effects are still pretty good as well, aren't they? Especially that um, the Dalek spacecraft. Yeah, I, I always think that when I watch it. I have it on Blu-ray, and I'm I'm always like, that 
really does look good. I mean, I assume it's just the model hung up, but... It is, yeah, it is. But it looks good, and I think it was reused a couple of times in other films as well. Mm, I can see why. Um, it was This was meant to be the, third, uh, the second and the third trilogy of films, um, but due to poor box office, it never actually happened. Now... Are these Hammer or Amicus films? Amicus. Amicus, Amicus. yes. Okay, I think Hammer was originally going to do them and then it switched at some point for some reason. Yeah, that was the case, yeah. They were going to adapt um, the the story of The Chase, I think, for the third movie. So we should say that both of these movies were were adapted from um, the TV episodes. Yes, yeah, but very different from the episodes. Very, very different, yeah. I have got another fun fact for you, though. Have we had a previous one? It it, it was nestled in there. You okay. may have missed it. All right. So this film was part financed by the um, Quaker Oats Company. Okay. And um, they were the makers of, you remember Sugar Puffs? I think yeah. they still make them, actually. Yeah, 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 I think so, yeah. And that's why you, you see several posters for Sugar Puffs uh, all around the, the ruined walls of London in the film. Okay, I didn't know that. That's funny. <laughs> so what have you got at, uh, is it 10 or 10.30 for you? Well, I'm 10.30 at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. thought it would be, yeah. So I'm throwing in a comedy. Oh, all right. Yeah. And I'm going with Frasier. Ooh. <laughs> all right. Contemporary-ish-ish. It is. It's, it's, it's still before our time, right? It is, it is, yeah. yeah. So, Dr. Fraser Crane moves back to his hometown of Seattle where he lives with his father and works as a radio psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. That's it for IMDb. And in this episode, which is the 19th of the fourth season, it's Ham Radio. Fraser tries to direct an old-time radio drama, but his over-directing turns the show into a complete disaster, just as Niles predicted i love frasier does it surprise me like i have been watched i've binge watched this and i can watch i can just sit down if there's an episode and it's on i will just sit down and watch it i love this show it's the writing is amazing mm-hmm. the, the weird thing is i've never really seen much of it but yeah i was a huge fan of cheers in my opinion personally this is better than cheers Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people think that, don't they? I'm, I'm sure there's different opinions. Different opinions are available. <laughs> we, just, we just don't like them. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this one is uh, more like a farce because it, he tries to do this radio play and the, I, I, just, it's just the lines are perfect in the whole episode. All the characters are great. You don't actually need to have seen any other episodes to understand this one and to mm-hmm. uh, connect with the characters in this. But it is a really good show. And I don't know. It's one of my favorite comedies. It's your first um, American choice as well, isn't it? Yeah, there's a few American ones here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've got one or two. Yeah. Oh. You know, I didn't know that you liked Frasier as much as this. Yeah, there you go. See, we're learning about each other. We are. Yeah, interesting to us, not to anybody else. (laughs) That's just amazing that we can still learn something about each other, Colin. Technically, it should be a catchphrase of the podcast. 
It should be. We should put it on the blurb underneath. Yeah. Interesting to <laughs> us. Nobody else. <laughs> We've got a few. Yeah, but literally <laughs> a few. A few keen listeners. <laughs> Gluttons for punishment. Yeah. They probably use it while they're in the basement being whipped. <laughs> Add to the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. I'll take that as long as they download it. I don't care. I've heard you take it, being whipped. Oh, are we, are we there? We Is that are. where we are? We're going, oh, we're going. We're there, there, are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's midday now in our listing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should point out also, this is kind of where my schedule that goes off kilt with what would happen in real life. All right, okay. <laughs> well, at 12 o'clock, I've got another movie. Okay, so you're, you're wow, you're, you're already an hour ahead and you're going to be even more ahead, so I'll probably have to catch up at some point. Okay. And I, I've just realised, looking at what my next choice is, that I lied to you earlier about oh. my superheroes. <laughs> Two things. One, you're okay. a liar. Two, yes. choosing a bunch of movies is cheating because it means you have to choose less shows. Oh, I've got some shows coming up. Don't you worry. Okay. All right. I think I've only picked... Two movies in here and then two more movies. At, my last two choices of movies at the end of the night. I only have two movies for the whole day. Oh. Well, we, we said we could pick what we wanted, so I picked what I wanted. Yeah, I know. It's fair enough. That's me. Cheating. <laughs> it's not cheating. It's what no, I would no. watch. Yeah, lazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's supposed to be my perfect day of retro TV and film. Yeah, which is you couldn't be bothered getting up to the Blu-ray player changing the discs so <laughs> if you choose more movies it's less getting up right i got it i know where you're no, going no no i i you know what some of the things that i've picked later on i had to really go and look for oh yeah maybe yeah. we shouldn't talk about those <laughs> that's what i did in the 10 minutes between uh... they sound dodgy no. well at 12 o'clock i picked superman the movie from 1978 it's a perfect afternoon movie, I think. Um, so it stars Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, Gene Hackman. So the synopsis, according to IMDb, is an alien orphan is sent from his dying planet to Earth, who grows up to become his adoptive home's first greatest superhero, Superman. It would have been easier if just IMDb had said, it's Superman, innit? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> now, come on, you must like this movie. Well, Paul, we have disagreements about superhero films on mm-hmm. a regular basis. We do, we do, yeah. yes. Yeah, I love this film. It's it's just, it, for me, it's the greatest comic book movie ever made. Mm-hmm. It's the most it's... sensible thing you've said all day. Thank you. <laughs> you don't know what I've been saying. <laughs> That's true. I just assumed. <laughs> I don't need to listen. I could have been standing out in the garden saying wibble if I was allowed to go outside. Well, that's true. Well, you've just been saying wibble in your kitchen. I have. Yeah, no yeah. one's listening. Um, I just think it's it's Paul, short Paul, and direct. Paul, 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 Weebles wobble. They don't fall over. Oh, that's not how it goes. They don't go down, isn't it? I beg your pardon. <laughs> Maybe weebles do. They might like a bit of that. Don't don't judge. 
Why does it go? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. That's what I said. No, he didn't. You said they don't go down. <laughs> it's the same thing. No, really. it's, it's really not. <laughs> Is that where I'm going wrong? Yeah, yeah. That's where you, where, where you, where, where, when you have your partner and you go, I, I want to fall down on you. She probably thinks you're going to collapse on her. <laughs> and that's not the same. Depends how you do it. No, yeah. <laughs> the romance is gone at that point. <coughs> also, I'm pretty sure if you're beginning the, the act with Weevil's Wobble, <laughs> but they don't go down, you're already on a loser right there. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to do that. No. no. So, so Superman <laughs> is, um, I just think it's shot really, really beautifully and it's directed really well by Richard Donner. Um, I think it gets the tone of a, of a, of a superhero movie just right with a mixture of, of, of humor and drama. Um, doesn't overdo either, you know, so it's not campy, but it, it's still got moments of, of laugh out loud humor in it. Right. Um, the effects are still good. They were good for the time, but they still pass now, I think, today. Yes, yeah. Um, Christopher Reeve will always be Superman. He's just a perfect Superman. Yeah, he's really good in the film, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's got the great John Williams score. Um, <laughs> I've got, a, got another fun fact for you. Oh, oh, <laughs> hold on. Uh, let me get ready for this. Well, you'll like this one. You'll oh. like this one. Oh, will I? Yes, you will. Okay. You'll like this one. So there's a, I read a fun story about Roger Moore. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> yes. A, a woman? So, so Roger Moore um, would tell a story of... Um, he would see Christopher Reeve walking through the canteen at Pinewood Studios in full costume. Okay. Quite a few times. And apparently all the women in the, in the canteen would swoon after him. But then when he did the same thing dressed as Clark Kent, nobody paid any attention to him at all. That's weird. Like, it's not a sexy costume. No, I know. I suppose he's, he's got a lot on show, though, hasn't he? You know, it's all up front, if you know what I mean. And he was a big man. Are you suggesting that if you wore a Superman costume and walked through your uh, hospital staff canteen, the women would swoon? Well, I get a reaction. Yeah, yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah. It involved tasers, but you would get a reaction. <laughs> well, you know, if I ever do go back to work, I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah, try it out. You must have yes. a super You must have a Superman costume. I, I don't actually. No. My I'm son's sorry. got one, but I don't think that would fit me. I bet you've tried it on. I might have tried the cape on. <laughs> oh, a cape on. I like a cape on. Oh, God, here we go. That <laughs> fish joke. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't care on about it. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not I'm not joining in. Good. I'm not joining in. Okay. No. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. 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 Let's just scallop along, eh? Oh, here we go. Yeah. It's on. <laughs> No, no, it's not. The, the gauntlet no. has been thrown. No, 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 because it won't stop. 
I remember the chocolate one. That was <laughs> yeah, went on for days, right? We had beards by the time we'd finished it. <laughs> right, so it's I... not it's not the place to do it. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, do you have anything else about Superman? Because I probably have to do a couple to catch up. I was just going to say um, one of the things that always amused me about Superman was that. Um, you know, Marlon Brando was, was famously difficult through the whole thing. He, he didn't want to learn his lines, so they had to hold up idiot boards for him to read. Really? Marlon Brando? You don't I say. I know. I know. He's the Russell Crowe of his day, wasn't he? Um, oh, God. <laughs> I know. That's kind of harsh on Russell Crowe, but okay. Um, did you hear the story that Rich Donner went to a meeting with him, and he sat there completely deadpan in front of him, and... Um, and Marlon Brando said, I think that um, Jor-El should, should just be a cabbage. Yeah, yeah, I've heard this story too, yeah. yeah I, and, he, and Rich Dunn had to sit there kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And inside he's thinking, oh, shit. Yeah. I don't know. Marlon Brando's a weird character. Very strange, yes, yeah. very strange. So give it, give us your a couple of yours then so we catch up. Because okay. I'm too on mine so. all right i'm only at 11 and i'm still like easing into my morning paul i'm not right. jumping in with big movies so at 11 a.m i'm going with magnum pi i thought you might i oh. thought magnum might appear at some point appear at some point okay the adventures of a hawaii-based private investigator that's all we get from imdb they're not wrong, technically. No, 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 it's fine. So obviously it's t- Tom Selleck as Magnum. And the episode I've chosen is actually from a later season. It's from season seven. It's episode 17 and it's called Laura. And on the face of it, this is a very run-of-the-mill Magnum episode. It doesn't have um, the quirkiness or the delights of some of the earlier ones. But what it does have is... Frank Sinatra's last acting performance. Really? Mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra guest stars in this episode as a New York cop who goes to Hawaii to try and hunt down the killers of his granddaughter. So what year was this? Uh, this is from 1987. And when did he, when did he die? <laughs> I'll tell you what, Alexa, when did um, Frank Sinatra die? Sinatra died on the 14th of May 1998 at the age of 82 due to bladder cancer and heart incapacity. Whoa, 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 we don't want details. <laughs> Jesus, bring the, bring the toad down. <laughs> Just wanted to know It was a good 10 years after then. He, yeah, apparently but this... he died in 1998 for those that couldn't hear it. Yeah, but this it, was uh... his last acting performance. Doesn't mean he didn't go on doing other things. No, I was just thinking about how uh, you know compassmentous he was in in the in the episodes. You know, he's perfectly okay in the episode. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I but... don't mean this. I have to say, I don't yeah. think I've seen a lot of Peter Magnum, to be honest. Right, yeah, the the, the episode's fine, and but it's, what's interesting is there's a section where they're trying to get Frank Sinatra's character and stop him doing from something that he's going to do and they're looking around the streets and they're asking people if they've seen him and mm-hmm. this whole sequence is done to a Phil Collins song 
Really? Full length of the song, too. It goes on for, like, four minutes. <clears throat> so do you think this was an impact from Miami Vice? I, I, 1987, Miami Vice is 85. It mm. seems like it, yeah. Feels like mm-hmm. it, too. So, um, so what is it about Magnum that you like, then? First of all, I like detective shows. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Selleck, I kind of like him as an actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he's yeah. very, very underrated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I like Magnum because not only did they... They start off pretty, I think, formulaic, but then they kind of played with it a lot. Isn't the later seasons he's he's in a coma or something? Or he's a ghost? That's, yeah, that's when he gets shot and comes back. But yeah. that was also because they didn't know whether they were going to continue or not. But also Higgins plays multiple characters. He plays cousins and brothers and stuff mm-hmm. of himself. There's also a lot of breaking the fourth wall. Also plays with the old old idea of a detective show in that it has voiceovers narrating what's going on. Oh, um, I think it's probably a show that we we might have to look at. I think maybe we should. Yeah, I think we should do maybe. But not the novel, Paul, which is one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever read in my life. <laughs> is it as uh, as bad as the Flash Gordon novel that we talked about? It's worse than the Flash Gordon novel because the Flash Gordon novel was entertaining. This, I, the Magnum novel, oh. <laughs> In what way? So every character, even if they only have two lines, has pages and pages of backstory, <laughs> which is usually pretty racist or misogynist or homophobic. Okay. So is this based on the, the, the teleplay for the pilot? Yes. Book come first? I, I, I'm assuming the episode because I'm, I reckon about 10% of the episode is in the book. I see. So this writer's... Uh adding a lot of his spin onto it then yeah yeah say. yeah there's a review there's one review on amazon okay and this reviewer says that when the book first came out in the late 70s i think he says late 70s he wrote to the head of granada publishing to complain about the book really and he says that the head of the publishing company wrote back and said in my defense I wasn't working here when that came out, but yes, it is terrible. <laughs> There's a nice bit of honesty there. Yeah, it it has to be read to be believed. Oh. It's quite expensive though, isn't it? No? Yeah, it's like $80 second hand. Oh. Yeah, I mean, no, don't do that. <laughs> I'll have to try and track one down. Yeah, yeah. I think I know. I think I know a place. Okay. Yeah, we, we know a place. Yeah, yeah. As long as he hasn't looked on Amazon, you'll be okay. Yes. <laughs> so what time are you up to now, then? I'm at 12 p.m. Oh, you better keep going, then, because I'm on 2.30, so... So I'm going with Blake 7. Really? Mm. Okay. Yeah, a group of convicts and outcasts fight a guerrilla war... Against the Terran Federation <laughs> from a highly advanced alien spaceship. Oh, so, okay. I wasn't expecting a Blake 7 episode. I like Blake episode. 7. You know what? I know you do, but I didn't expect you to put it in the list. Oh. I thought you'd have 
things that, that, that would be in there. But go on, tell Let, me about this. Episode. Let's be honest, this list is hard because there's a lot of shows I'd put in. The day's too short. Yeah. So I chose a late episode from the fourth season, and it's the 11th episode, and it's called Orbit. Okay. And the Scorpio crew are summoned by renegade Federation scientist Agrarian, who wants to unleash vengeance on the Federation. Agrarian wants to trade a powerful weapon in exchange for Orak. But Avon and Villa discover Agrarian is working for Servian in another bid to take Orak. On a word, Avon has given Agrarian a fake duplicate of Orak. Let's just say, it's a fairly complicated plot. I was about to say, I haven't got a fucking clue what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty complicated, and of course it follows on, because by the time we get to the fourth season, we're not doing distinct episodes anymore. We kind of are following on from episode to episode. Mm-hmm. But what is interesting about this, any other show, American, maybe British, but mostly American, by the time we get to towards the end of the last season... All the characters are friends, right? Yeah. They're bonded mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Okay. In this episode, we have Avon and Villa, and they're in a shuttle. And this shuttle can't break away from orbit because it's too heavy. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to like get rid of any material thing that they don't need, like fire it into space so that they can raise the shuttle out of orbit, right? Yeah. They don't know what they could throw away next. So Villa is just about to head out of the cockpit to see if what he can find. Avon asks Orak, how much weight do we need to get rid of? I can't remember the exact number, so I'm going to make one up here. And Orak says, 160 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then Orak suddenly suggests, eh, you know, Villa... He weighs about 170 pounds. <laughs> and you just see Avon's face and he goes, hmm. And in the background, Villa's like, fuck me. And he like runs down these steps. And so like for 10 minutes, you have this scene where Avon is just walking around the ship going, Villa, uh, Villa, I, I, I've got a plan. We could get out Avon. of this. Avon was that kind of guy, though, wasn't he? He would, yeah. he would do yeah. whatever it took. Yeah, but it's amazing that we're, we're so late in the season and still that he would kill somebody. And, of course, Villa believes that Avon would throw him out because it cuts to Villa and he's, like, sweating and hiding in this little hole somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't normally see that, would you? Because by that point, in, in particularly in modern TV... They'd be a, a family now, wouldn't they? A quote-unquote family. Yeah, exactly. But here we are, like, I don't know, very few episodes to the end, and there are, there's still this distrust between them. Family. Yeah, 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 totally. And, uh, and so I, it's one of my favorite episodes because the way Avon plays it, and I'm using his character's name, but the way he, it, it's just amazing. Like, he's totally slimy and yet there's something attractive about his character too i think it helped as well that the 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 way paul darrow played it was was completely straight i don't understand why paul darrow was not a bigger actor than what he was because he blew everybody else off the screen in that show yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to think. I don't want to. I don't want to put words into into Paul Darrow's mouth, especially because he's dead. You, you you have to admire an actor like Paul Darrow that can do a show like this. That I'm not saying he, he's better than this show, but he is really. Let's yeah, face it. Totally. Do it completely straight and make you believe it completely. Professional. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's a weird thing about Blake Seven but, and the you know. The first seasons with Blake in it, you're like, oh, okay. But the minute Avon takes over, you're like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's a good choice. Yeah. I I think I need to go back and watch more Blake 7. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's one of the few shows that gets better as it goes on. Yeah, I I seem to remember it being like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, good. So shall I do my one o'clock? And I'm going with The Avengers. <laughs> a quirky spy show, The Avengers of Ensign Trickley Suave, British agent John Steed. What? I, I, so where's, where's the guy with the shield? And and, and the one oh. that turns green? And and uh, the guy with the with the bow and arrow? Yeah, this is the real Avengers. The real Avengers? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is John Steed and his predominantly female partners, according to IMDb. He, he, he does get a, 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 a man later. No, he? no, he doesn't. He gets a man in the beginning. No, he gets a man later. Nope, he doesn't. He does. Nope. He does. Nope. He does. Are you talking about the new Avengers, which is a different show? That's a different show, Paul. That's a very different show. I'm talking about the Avengers. And in the first season, he is with a guy called Dr. Keel, who is played by Ian Hendry, who may appear in something that I may bring up later. Then it becomes female after that. The new Avengers is a different show. But it, it, it references a lot of stuff from the old, from the previous Avengers, so it's it still re- the same. Show. It references a little bit. I watched one today, and they mentioned Emma yeah, Peel. That's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so, which episode did you choose? I chose season four, episode nine, the hour that never was. Go on. On their way to a closed down party at an airbase, the Avengers car crashes when they swerve to avoid hitting a dog. The airbase proves to be deserted and Steed is knocked out. When he recovers, he's back at the car but minus Mrs. Peel and the party. When he gets there, he's in full swing. It would seem that he's gone back an hour in time. That's from IMDb. It's not totally accurate because the first time he wakes up, he's with Mrs. Peel. And they spend a lot of the show walking around this deserted airbase. And then they find a milkman who's knocked out. Then Steve gets knocked out and it goes back to this bit. So it's interesting that most of the show, it's basically just the two of them walking around talking. But that was what made the show great anyway, the two of them and the way that they interacted, particularly um, Dinah Rigg and um, Patrick McNee. Yeah, there's a great scene where they're talking and they're walking across a kind of bridge with a little low wall and steed is just walking normally but she's on top of the wall Mm, mm -hmm. and it's just like odd stuff like that that they do but also um 
this episode is mysterious because it's not until the towards the end you realise what's going on. And, and what is good. going on? Uh, well, Spoiler. I, I, no, no, I don't want to give the game away. You're going to make me watch it? Yes, I'm going to make you watch it. Uh, there's also a great fight sequence because Mrs. Pill all, always can handle herself. And there's this great scene that <clears> reminds <throat> me of... <laughs> knock it off. Rude. <laughs> don't accept <clears throat> that. Didn't say anything. Um, there's this scene where... And it reminds me of a scene from Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. Where she but grabs that's... a fire bucket and she throws the contents of the fire bucket in the person's face. And then she goes to hit them with a the fire bucket, but she tests the fire bucket and it's just like this flimsy plastic. And she just pulls his face like, oh, this is not going to work. And just throws it aside and then carries on. And the scene I'm thinking of in Tomorrow Never Dies is where Pierce Brosnan tests the weight of the ashtray. And in his case, it's heavy enough to knock somebody out. In hers, yeah. it's not heavy enough. And so it's kind of like this fun little moment. Oh, excellent. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to have to... I mean, I, 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 Avengers is one of those shows that I used to watch. I don't know if you remember, but, but back in the early 80s, Channel 4, when it started, used to repeat it all the time. And that was where I was first um, uh, exposed to it. Oh, yeah. You like being exposed. Yes, you've done that gag already, haven't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I, I've always loved the Avengers, but it was a show that that I hadn't seen for a long time until today. Funnily enough, when I watched when I watched them, yeah, that's and, when you when you sent me that message, I was like, "Oh, is this going to come up? That's interesting." <laughs> well, now I've got a hankering for it, and especially now talking about it, so I do want to watch more now. Yeah, it's a good show. It's a good mystery. It's well written, and the characters are great. Yeah, the D- D- Riggs chemistry, as I said before, with um, Patrick McNee, it, 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 it's the best chemistry of all the, um, the the companions that he has. Let's call them companions. Yes. Team. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and she set the template for it. I don't know. Honor Blackman was pretty. All right. Okay. Mm, yeah, but um, no. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to check out more Avengers now. Now that we've been talking about it. Available on Blu-ray. And they look good too. I know they do. Yes. I'm often, I've been looking at them today. (laughs) You're not surprised, are you? No, I'm not. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Very quirky Britishness to them. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that I, I think those terrible Kingsman movies try and, 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 and steal a little bit at times, don't they? Yes. Badly. Very badly. In a very, in a very, um, <laughs> we're not ones to talk, but very vulgar way as well. I, I don't know what you mean, Paul. <laughs> well, you know, the Avengers could do innuendo. Yes. But, but, but there's class to it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So I'm What's at 2 p.m., so do you want to go? Well, I'm at 2.30, so I, I, I can do one if you like. I've got a TV episode for you or something. Okay, that works because I've got a movie at 2 p.m. Okay, so at uh, at 2.30, I've got, and you uh, hinted at it earlier, you gave a little bit of a... <laughs> Did I guess? Did I? little bit of a teaser there for yeah. the listeners. Yeah. I've picked an episode of Beauty and the Beast. Oh, I knew it. I knew yeah. it. Are you surprised <laughs> that I knew it? I didn't think you would think of it, no. 
No, uh, no. Because you, so you've I'm... kind of gone off the show, as far as I was aware. I hadn't watched it in a long time, and it came up when we were going to do this episode, and mm-hmm. I thought about it, and I stuck one on, and uh, then I ended up watching three. Oh, okay. Oh, all, all three. Three, yeah. Okay. Are you going to watch more in the future? Are you now like going to start from the beginning and go through it more? If I had the time, I would, yeah. I thought we've got plenty of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you've got the time, Paul, right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what this whole podcast is about. So, Beauty and the Beast was a TV show uh, from the 80s that involved uh, Ron Perlman as uh, Vincent, who was, uh, who looked, uh, he, was, uh, he was supposed to be disfigured, but he looked like a lion, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. And Catherine, played by uh, Linda Hamilton. Was that ever and mentioned in the show that he looked like a lion? I think he was supposed to be a. a they hinted at the fact that he was he was a, the, the the product of animal experiments and genetic uh, manipulation okay. and all that kind of thing. Although it was never really explained too much, right. you know. Um, in the in the pilot episode, which is the one I've chosen. Mm-hmm. All right, so you went straight at the beginning. When, when yeah, the pilot episode, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Catherine is uh, a victim of mistaken identity in the park, and she's attacked and disfigured. Phoned by Vincent, who takes her below, which... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, take... what? <laughs> no, they, they, he lives in a series of tunnels under New York. Ah, okay, okay, okay. And um, he, he heals her wounds, and they become... Oh. Uh, it's basically... A, 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 they have a bond, let's say. Yeah, it's shit, right? What? It's shit. <laughs> it's shit. <laughs> you read really on that show, do you? Um, I just think it was it was unlike anything that was on TV at the time back in the eighties. You know, it it um it was quite slow <laughs> paced. Um, yeah, it involved poetry at times. It. it it was very classical in its in, in the way that it approached things, but then it also mixed in sort of contemporary um, police procedural type storylines as well. Right. Um, the first season, the first season did kind of rely on that old thing of Catherine would get in danger in the in the final act, and Vincent would run and save her. Okay. But they did kind of they did kind of get away from that later, and in the third season, Catherine dies, and it turns into a completely different show. Is that a good uh, thing or a bad thing? It was a good thing for the show, I think. Oh, um, so it's not like you know a show changes and then you're like, oh, they should have just ended it right there. No, it could have carried on. Okay, I think. okay. Um, if any of if there's any episodes from any of the seasons that I would recommend to you, Colin, it would be the third season. Great. I'll just put that in my uh, to watch <laughs> Never to dead do. list. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, the only to... reason I've liked this is because you spent a rather large amount of your uh, younger life trying to convince me to watch this show. I did. And I think I, I did get you to watch a few times, didn't I? Oh, absolutely. I would never have watched it. Without mm-hmm. you fussing it on me. <laughs> no, it, I think I just think it's a nice, gentle show that that um, th- that was unlike anything that was on at the time. And mm. I've always I've always got a soft spot for this show. I, I don't know why, but in my mind, 
I aligned this show with Midnight Carla. Yes, it was around the same time, I think. Okay. okay. Yeah, and it was it. Midnight Caller was one of those shows that was kind of um, slow and gentle as well, wasn't it? Right, right. And did you like Midnight Caller as well? I did, yeah. Okay. But I think, well, you kind of like Midnight Caller as well, though, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, but probably for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> interested in getting into radio, were you? Is that what it was? Yeah, that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do a podcast, pal. Living the dream. So that, that's that's my two thirty to to uh, three thirty uh, episode, Beauty and the Beast. Okay, I knew it was going to appear at some point. It had to. Hmm? Go on, your turn. Oh yeah, so it's me. Okay, well I'm doing a movie. Finally, oh, a right. good afternoon movie, one that's not going to upset Granny. The kids are going to love it. It's fun for all the family, and it is Labyrinth. Oh, yes. 16-year-old Sarah is given 13 hours to solve a labyrinth and rescue her baby brother Toby when a wish for him to be taken away is granted by the Goblin King, Jareth. I mean, do we need to say any more? I could just end it right there. Yeah, I mean, David Bowie's excellent in this movie, isn't he? Yes, he is. There's also surprisingly good songs from him as well in this film. For the 80s, yeah. 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 <laughs> David Bowie. Yeah, Great definitely. Jim Henson effects. Hmm? With the puppets. Good story. It's fun. This is a good afternoon film. It's just perfect. It is. And 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 I am sure of this one before you ask me. We, we lost Terry Jones, didn't we, this year? Yeah, and there's a lot of Monty Python feeling to the film as well. Oh, definitely. Um, the, the one that springs to mind the most is The Two Door Knockers. That's very Python-esque, I thought. Yes, I think so. Yeah. So, what time are you up to now? 3.30. 3.30? hmm So, I, I, we're, we've caught up with yes. each other. We would eventually. It balance out. So, at 4.30, I've chosen an episode of V, but not V, the miniseries, or V, the final battle, the series. The fuck are you insane? It's shit. <laughs> no one likes V, the series. People like, like V, the miniseries, excellent. V, the final battle, pretty good. V, the series, let's pretend it never existed. No, 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 I like V, the series. So V, the series was a was a, a, a continuation or spin-off from the, the two miniseries that came before it. Done drastically cheaper. Because <laughs> it used, all the special effects are from V, the miniseries. They were, yes, yes. But that's not why I watch, I like it. I like it for the characters. Because any chance to see more of of Donovan and Julie and Diana was just, just you know, I lapped it up as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, don't look at that. So I'm, not, I'm just, chose... just thinking about who was in it. Uh, there was Faye Grant. Faye Grant, yes. And there was Hooper. <laughs> who else? Uh, Mark Singer. Yeah, 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 yeah. You liked Mark Singer, right? I did, yes. Oh, yeah. Beastmaster. I feel like you're trying to manoeuvre me into something here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What am I trying to manoeuvre you into? You Michael wish. Ironside. Michael yeah. Ironside was in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a bit of Ironside. Uh, yeah, in the in the series. <laughs> in the series, we also had um, June Chadwick. Who did June? Ta- oh, she was one of the, al- Lydia. the visitors, right? Lydia. Blonde. 
She yeah. was the blonde one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like the commander who always fought with the. And then the only reason I'm having trouble is I can't remember the name of the one we like. I'll get there. Okay. We also had we also had Robert England from um, Freddy Krueger fame. And he was in the he, series yeah. as well as the miniseries. All right. He was. Okay. Yeah. 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 And we had Jane Badler that played Diana as well. Oh, he just just slipped that in at the end, right? I beg your pardon, <laughs> sir. The the star of the Highwaymen. Yes. Yes, that's a show we're going to have to talk about at some yeah, point, isn't it? Very short-lived TV show that nobody on the planet has heard of. <laughs> it was great. I don't know what you're talking about. I had a nice truck. I beg your pardon? You heard. Yes. Wasn't, um, wasn't there a wrestler in that, from what I remember as well? And it also had Sam Jones from Flash Gordon in it, didn't it? Definitely know Sam Jones was in it because he was the star of it. Not sure mm-hmm. about the wrestler. I remember a big guy in it with an axe or something, or a shotgun or something, rather. Really. I'm guessing we're going to have to rewatch the show and figure it out. I'm sure we will. Or somebody will point out that how completely wrong I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this episode that I've chosen um, is actually again the the first episode of the min- of the of the series, not the, of the series. Yeah. And the episode was called Liberation Day. And I'll tell you why I like this in a minute, but I'll give you the plot. Right. The evil Diana, captured and set to stand trial for her crimes against the human race, is kidnapped by corrupt corporate magnate Nathan Bates. Mm. Who, oh, who wants to know the secrets of the visitor's advanced technology. Yes. Okay, right. Now, the reason why I like this is because we get to see more of Diana's... Wow. Wow. <laughs> what do we get to see? Um, mm-hmm. she, I, I think that her character is, is... Because she's kind of a pantomime villain, isn't she? She is in the miniseries because she's the one that, you know, eats the rat or mouse. That's right. And I have to be careful what I say because I'm, <laughs> I'm friends with this lady on Messenger. So <laughs> Albums now, right? She does. She does a lot of uh, okay. music. Yeah. It's very good, actually. You should check it out. Um, I think the series opened up her character a little bit more than it did in, in, in the miniseries. I think that she got a lot more to play. Um, and you actually get to see her uh, in this episode. You actually get to see her what? afraid what? of something. Oh. Afraid of something. Okay. Yeah. I've never um, heard anyone defend this actual series before. Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, if it, 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 it's it's... It's not as good as the miniseries, right. but uh, what? But but that's not the point of this list, is it? it it's it's what we would choose, what we like. Yep. yep. And, and if I was going to pick one episode, because you can't just throw on the miniseries, because it's a it's a it's an entire thing, isn't it? It, it is its own self-contained thing. Whereas that's... the episodes of the sh- of the series, you can just throw one on. Yeah, that's actually why Doctor Who does not appear in my list. Exactly why I didn't do that as well, which is why I picked the movie instead of instead yeah, of. Yeah, because how would you do that? Because you you know you got six episodes, twenty minutes long. You can't just mm-hmm. choose one. Yeah, but with V the series, you know, particularly the first one as well, because it's it's coming off the back of the of of the final battle, and it literally picks up from where that ended, with Donovan chasing Diana as she's making an escape. Um, it's um i just think it's a fun show i, I i'm aware of its naffness but mm-hmm. it, 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 i enjoy it okay you were, you didn't see that one coming did you <clears throat> no i didn't I, I genuinely did not 
Oh, so I've got I've got a little catch up to do. So I got an hour long show that will take me to four thirty. So I'll do this one. I've got the sandbaggers. Oh, okay. I don't know what this is. Okay, the sandbaggers is one of the best British TV shows ever made. Okay. It is the missions of an elite British intelligence covert operations unit. So it ran from 1978 to 1980. And the episode I've chose is from the second season. It's the first episode. And it's when Sandbagger 2, Tom Elliott, is sent to Sofia on an operation to meet a Bulgarian agent claiming he wants to give information to Western intelligence. Everything goes wrong. And Neil Burnside, who controls the sandbaggers, and Willie Kane going to try and help save Elliot. Now, it's a sister to Callan because it has that same kind of atmosphere. It ran for three seasons, mm-hmm. and it is about SIS and about the sandbaggers. A sandbagger is an agent that goes into another country and performs an assassination or espionage or whatever, and it is... Um, very realistic. Most of the mm-hmm. episodes are just people talking, but it is so tense, and this is really perfectly the wrong episode to show at 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon <laughs> because there is an agent shot in it in the back. He, he's still alive and gets back to his uh, safe hole. Mm-hmm. But the way this actor plays it, it's like... After you finish the episode, you need a comedy or something afterwards because this guy has just, like, destroyed you. He's sweating. He's awful. And then when uh, Tom Elliott meets him, Tom Elliott does his face like he's, oh. And the guy goes, I can't move. And you realize the guy's just pissed and shit himself all night. (laughs) So you're, like, you're watching this. You're like, oh, my God. And it, it really is. It's about people talking about paperwork management of intelligence services and then on the other hand it's total stress and harrowing behavior of what these agents have to go through it is i tell you it's one of the best british shows ever made so it's very realistic it's not it's not bond uh ian mcintosh created was a naval officer and politicians at the time didn't understand how he was getting so accurate information into the show and they were suspicious about his background the show only ran for three seasons ian mcintosh mysteriously disappeared in a plane nobody no one found the plane no one found his body he just vanished so he was nobbled basically well nobody knows um there is a comic book series called queen and country and yeah i've heard of that yeah the writer of that comic book was influenced by this tv show oh really definitely yeah it is a great show so now it's 4 30 while i'm waiting for my uh, fish fingers to cook i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna watch an episode of emu's world it ran from 1982 to 1984 the episode that i watched was episode three from season three that was broadcast in 1983 and i found it on youtube there's quite a lot of it on youtube actually <laughs> We should say Emu's World was a children's tea time show in which uh, Rod Hull lived in a windmill with Emu. Um, do you want to explain what Emu was? <laughs> well, Emu was a puppet that he controlled with his hand up its backside. 
Yes, and it was but kind of, it, and it was an emu, basically that basically assaulted people. Pretty much, and I, I mean, it was so popular at one time. He was on every chat show going, wasn't he? Attacking the, the yeah, the... yeah, and he didn't even need to do a voice because it never had one. He didn't need it because genius, was... right? Genius, genius. It was, um, and hijinks and fun often ensued. You involving? I did. Sorry, I just thought hijinks ensued. It's... Yeah. Often involving being harassed by a wicked witch named Grotbags. Grotbags, yeah. And did did she have at this point helpers? Yeah, she had Croc. Okay, Croc. He was right. a, a big guy in a in a in a crocodile suit. Right. He wasn't in a suit. He was supposed to be a crocodile, but yeah. All right. Now, for a period of time, they did these live. Yes, I don't think the one that I watched was live. Okay. No, because they would do cutaways and things like that. Yeah, right, okay. But yeah, I think the first series was live. It had an audience, didn't it? A studio. Yeah, 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 And but it was shot live, and so there was a lot of interesting things happened. Well, there was a lot of interesting things happened in this episode. Do you tell? I, I don't think that they, uh, if they made a mistake, I don't think they would go back and, and, and redo it. Right. There were many instances, particularly of um, the actress that played Grotbags completely fluffing her lines. Okay. And yeah. um, so this episode was about, um, I think, from what I could gather, because it was kind of... Um, was it all over the place by any chance? It was, chance? A, bit, well, it was right. a little bit all over the place. Um, it was uh, it was full of, like, terrible puns and bad jokes. Um, it, at one point, it revolved around Rod trying to give Emu a bath. And, oh, yeah, that, um, that'd be a bad idea. Yeah, and uh, Grotbags was about to be kicked out of the witches' uh, union, and then it ended in a singing, uh, singing a rock and roll number in a park with a bunch of kids. So <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. But <laughs> do you know what the song was? Can you remember? It was, it was a made-up song. It was. Oh, it, it was, was one for so the show. A, okay, it's done in a rock and roll style. Oh. It was just cheap, cheerful TV fun. It was very innocent. Um, for whatever the reason it was, I never used to miss it as a kid. Do you remember yeah. what would happen when anyone would knock at the door of the uh, windmill? There's somebody at the door. There's somebody at the door. At the door. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, you still remember it. Yep. Um, now, interestingly, I think the thing that, one of the things that helped make it work as well was, was the way that Rod Hull would, would work the emu. And to some extent, some of the other ones. He used to. There was Cuddles the monkey as well, wasn't there? Right. Yeah. That actually had a voice. Yes, it did. Um, but he would, particularly the emu. Um, you knew it was a puppet, but he 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 did it in a way where you completely forgot that it was his arm inside of it. Right. Yeah. Because he gave it. He brought it to life. Yeah. Such a because it was kind of mean spirited as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It wasn't a yeah. nice emu. <laughs> no. And interestingly, I showed some of this to, to my son. Mm-hmm. Um, my son's 10 years old. And I, and I just said, just, just come in and watch a little bit of this. And it was, the, it was the bit where he was trying to give emu the bath and he was resisting. And you can imagine what was happening. It was, it was attacking him and throwing all the stuff around the place. And he was cracking up with laughter, my son. He thought it was hilarious. Really? Yeah, so it still works for kids. Huh. Interesting. You 
Um, we should say Rod, how Rod Hole died as well. Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it is it fur on Rod Hall? Oh, I suppose not. It's amusing though, isn't it? We can cut it out, but it was amusing. It amused me. <laughs> died adjusting his TV aerial. <laughs> Slipped off his roof. Ah, well. What was he doing up there at his age? I know. He, apparently, he died because he, he when he, he didn't just fall off the roof. He he, he fell through um, uh, um, a greenhouse roof as well and fractured his skull. Like, why would you go up there? <laughs> Maybe there was somebody at the door and it distracted him. I <laughs> was this all leading to that? <laughs> just came to me. God. I mean, even I wouldn't do that. I would get somebody else to do it for me. Absolutely, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so Emu's World, that was my choice for, for 4.30. You kind of like that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it's good. I like Emu's World. <laughs> so what's your choice then? Uh, 4.30, I'm going with The Muppet Show. Oh, classic. Yeah, and I'm going with Season 2. Episode 19, Peter Sellers. Wow, okay. Now, the show itself is Kermit the Frog and his fellow Muppets put on a vaudeville show at the theatre, bringing in a famous celebrity to help out for each episode. Um, It's kind of hard to choose just one Muppet show episode. I mean, the series ran from 1976 to 1981. Um. This episode, of course, features Peter Sellers, but also it's the first time we hear the It's Not Easy Being Green song. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Peter Sellers appears as a wild gypsy, a strange doctor, and forms a band against drinking. In this rare performance from the Master of Disguise himself, there's also an interesting scene between Kermit and him where Kermit says to him, you know, you can just be yourself. And Peter Sellers says that there is no me. Probably true. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. But there's also some, some good songs, and it's fun. And The Muppets, it's always great. And there's over 100 episodes of The Muppets show that I think people have forgotten about. I think that's why I, I would find it difficult to pick an episode of The Muppet show, because it, 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 it doesn't feel like a show. It feels like this one massive thing. And the only mm-hmm. way I can differentiate things is by picking out the guest stars. I remember the guest stars more than than the actual episodes, if you, if you know what I mean. No, I totally get it. Because I was looking and I, was, I saw one and I was like, oh, I think Paul would go for that one. And it was Vincent Price. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen bits of that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it is difficult to choose one. But I think that's also great about the show is that you can just randomly go this one, and it's always good. What 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 was your favourite segment in the Muppet Show? I kind of have a thing for uh, Gonzo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I kind of like Gonzo. I can see that. I can see why you would like that. Yeah. Yeah, pigs in space is always good. In space, I I I love the cutaways to the two old guys just complaining about everything. You know what? I can see you sitting there in that little booth going, oh, the doctor is a woman now. No keen on that. <laughs> Animated episodes of Doctor <sighs> No. Yeah, I can see you doing that. Well, that's why I like it, obviously. 
Yeah, I yeah, like Fuzzy Burr too. Oh yeah, Fuzzy Burr and and the band. Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and the thing about the Muppets. There's so many great characters. And that's why they're still going today. Yeah, and it's also a show oh. where you can take it as a child and enjoy the Muppets and the puppetry and the colours and the songs. And then as an adult, you can go, oh, yeah, I know what they're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I remember the Pigs in Space episode that featured Mark Hamill. Oh, I imagine that's a good one. Yeah, and he's, and he's actually, I think it was around about the time that Empire was due to come out. So he's wearing that um, that kind of cream-coloured outfit he was in, in Empire. Right. So he was obviously around about that time, yeah. And um, I think I remember watching that as it was broadcast. Because it used to be on about dinner time. And uh, so you, you'd sit down and you'd be, you'd be allowed to eat your uh, dinner in front of the TV. And that's what would be on. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Great choice. Well, from the Muppets, we'll go to... <laughs> oh, gosh. Here we go. What's this going? This doesn't sound good. Five o'clock. I've chosen Rent-A-Ghost. So Rent-A-Ghost was a TV show that ran from 1976 to 1984. You realise I knew Rent-A-Ghost was going to appear at some point. Yes, I knew, you, I knew that okay. you knew that. <laughs> So it was, uh, I've chosen episode three from season five. I, I didn't realise it ran for so long. There were nine seasons. Nine? Wow, okay. There's roughly between five to seven episodes per season. So it's that okay. usual sort of like British TV, BBC comedy yeah. thing. It's still a long time. It is a hell of a long time for a kid's show. Yeah, especially a show that didn't really have much <laughs> <laughs> well you say that yeah, yeah so, i do to prove me wrong paul so the synopsis of, of rent a ghost is that um the idea behind it is that harold and ethel Mika are a little couple that live in south ealing where they run the company rent a ghost where they rent out spooks and ghouls to the public and that is it <laughs> oh okay well yeah that that gives you a lot of room to maneuver that's right. Um, so we had Mr. Claypole. These were some of the ghosts. But the, uh, over the course of the nine seasons, the, the, the ghosts would revolve. Yeah, but let's be honest. We only remember Mr. Claypole. We do, we do. Mr. Claypole was a, a court gesture, jester at the court of Queen Matilda, apparently. I didn't know that. No. Uh, we had Hazel the Witch, Nadia Popoff, who was a... a oh, I, I remember Popoff. Yes. She was a Dutch ghost who suffered from hay fever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're, you're smiling now. I can see you smiling. Yeah, I know. yeah, I liked the show when I was a kid. So a lot of other ghosts came and went. And we also had a, a pantomime horse ghost as well. I remember an episode that revolved around the pantomime horse. Yes, yes. There was quite a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it would go off and they would have to bring it back. Yes. So it was a, it was a kid's comedy series with... Plots usually revolving around the ghosts being hired to haunt various people or um, slapstick sort of shenanigans and hijinks and things like that. Do you you ever think that the uh, Michael J. Fox film The Frighteners watched Rent-A-Ghost and were like, hmm? I I wouldn't be surprised if Peter Jackson knows Rent-A-Ghost. Yeah, it seems likely, right? And and wasn't there a, um, a, a new BBC sitcom on last year? 
that reminded me of Rent a Ghost as well. The was, yeah. The group of ghosts haunting a, a, a an old manor house that had been bought by this couple. Yes, only. but only she, the wife, could see them. Yes, yes. Yeah. It, it reminded me of Rent a Ghost a lot. Right? Okay. Um, it's it's still a funny show. I I still think it's funny. Um, it's cheap. Mm-hmm. It's got that BBC Studio Land sheen to it, hasn't it? From yes, a lot of shows had back then. But it's got a lot of old school charm to it, I think. Um, and, and let's face it, everybody from a certain generation can probably sing along to the theme tune, can't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Go on then, Paul. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the episode I chose was um, basically about um, the ghosts become involved in a spate of burglaries uh, that are going on around town. And um, it guest out Christopher Biggins. Oh, okay. And it had jokes like, I wrote some of the jokes down. These are oh, All right, go on. Let, let, okay. Lay them on me. Let's hear these. Okay. So th- these are the two characters talking. Mm-hmm. It's a misdemeanor. Misdemeanor? I've never heard of her. Oh, she's a distant cousin of Miss Elanius. Nice. Like mm-hmm. it. Thought you'd like that. Yeah. Another joke is that they catch a man looking through the window, and the Dutch ghost says, Oh, it's the pooping Tom. Pooping because yeah, she's done. No. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it's that hello, hello kind of thing, yeah, you know. Got it, got it, got it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's lots of like silly wordplay and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And um, <laughs> another one that, um, that, that I wrote down is um, I want a spell removed. Well, go to the sanitary specter. I said spell, not smell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a reach. Uh, and I have one more, one more. Oh, all right. Yes, yes, go on. I've got one more. Honestly, yeah. this is the last one. Okay. I'm thinking of changing my name to Ethel Kitchen so that I can be a household name. <laughs> okay. I can see why you like this show, Paul. It's got all your jokes in it. <laughs> well, that's Rent a Ghost. What's your choice then? 5pm. Uh, We've actually done a podcast on this, so it's one of the, I think, two that we've actually done a podcast on in my list. Mm-hmm. 5 p.m., Paul. It's dinner time, tea time for you northerners. Mm-hmm. What's it going to be, Paul? Think about it. I don't know. Go on. It's, it's a Saturday. It's ITV. Mm-hmm. It's 5 p.m. What's it going to be, Paul? Come on. The A-team. Yes! Exactly. <laughs> well done. Nicely. <laughs> Four Vietnam vets framed for crime they didn't commit help the innocent while on the run from the military. What can you say? What can you oh. say that we didn't say? Right, that we did in our entire podcast about it where we loved it. So I chose season two, episode 21, which is Deadly Maneuvers, which actually doesn't fall into the formula that the episodes normally do. Oh, do tell. So, in this episode, the team are using a period without a job to retreat for military-style physical training. But a syndicate of crime lords so fed up with the A-team ruining the business that they pay legendary Major Douglas Cal a fortune in advance to set up an evil A-team of four merciless super-mercenaries to put them out of business for good. 
Having done their homework, the challengers used three team members' weak spots to take them out one by one. A girl to bait face. A dog for Murdoch. BA's daily gallon of milk. And thus Hannibal is alone. With no other clue than the dairy firm which delivered the drugged milk. And he has to escape the killer quartet before he must free the others and plan a revenge. Wow, super mercenaries. Yeah, they're not, they're not that great. <laughs> I wonder whether this is where they got the idea for the... Because um, you know there were toys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little action yeah. figures. Yeah. And they brought out a set of um, sort of evil bad guys that they could fight. I wonder whether they got that from this from this episode. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Was one of them, them having a moustache? Perhaps. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's slightly different from the normal A-Team episode. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's it's pretty good. Uh, I like the way that they figure out how to get out of things. Oh, the one of the strange things is I forgot that the um, the journalist has changed in this episode at this point. Oh, is it not um, April? Um, April. No, yeah. we, we did that. We got mixed up last time, didn't we? April's yeah. the second one, isn't she? We always get mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this this one's not as good as the original one. No, 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 no. <clears throat> but she does get more to do in this one than the original. Um, I don't know the A Team. I can't binge watch the A Team because most of the episodes are exactly the same. But whenever I watch an A Team episode, I always enjoy it. I've never encountered a bad one. Exactly. Yeah, I I, would, I agree with you on that. Uh, just like we said on the podcast, I mean, it's just it's just really good fun. Yeah, totally. And there's always something to enjoy, even in the in the bad episodes. If yeah. there are, if, you know, there, there's still something to 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 take away from it. I think. So. Yeah. In this one, I was kind of watching George Pappard, and I was like, he's acting really weird in this one. Like, what's going on? And then I realized he had drunk some of the drugged milk. Oh, affected BA badly and that's why he was acting strange oh I see right yeah yeah I thought he was just having you know a bit of the sauce a George Peppard moment <laughs> yeah but no apparently not he was he was and I'm doing doing air quotes acting <laughs> and I kind of like the idea that it's you know face gets affected by a woman and Murdoch it's like this dog that's at the side of the road that he thinks has been knocked over it's all these like tropes that have been throughout the season. Also, the doctor that um, Hannibal has to call to try and help him because he's been drugged slightly is the doctor from the first season of the episode where B.A. is shot and he takes him to this like country doctor. I remember that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she comes back into it because she always offered to help him afterwards. And that's unusual for a TV show back then to do that, isn't it? To do yeah. a callback to a to a character from a previous episode like that. Yeah, to a previous season as well. Yeah. And what season is this one then? This is season two, and it's towards the end, episode twenty-one. I'll have to I'll have to look for that one then. Yeah. Hmm. So we me? Is it me? Well, I'm at six p.m. So what do you got? Well, I'm at we got five thirty. That's fine. You do it then. Yeah. Okay, so five thirty. We've had we've had a bit of in-use world. We've had a bit of rent to go. So now I'm going to ease into a bit of a game show. I think. 
but not your. Oh, hold on! I did not see a game show coming. So now let me think. It's obviously not going to be the Price is Right, although you like Michael Barrymore and his swimming pool antics. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not going to be blankety blank. I'm thinking it's either going to be Games Master or it's going to be the other one where it's like a virtual reality and they put helmets on and I can't remember the name of it. Nightmare. Nightmare. It's going to be Nightmare. No, it's not that one either. Oh, okay. What is it? It's the adventure game. Oh, fuck me. That's just Nightmare of a Wig. <laughs> it predates uh, Nightmare yeah. very much. It's just the it's original. Just Series that ran on the BBC from 1980 to 1986 for four seasons. I didn't know it was uh, that long. It is, yeah. And uh, the, the episode that I watched was episode two from season two. Uh, so, <laughs> the plot. <laughs> yeah, go on. I see this. So, three celebrities, and I, and I use that with extreme air quotes, <laughs> celebrities. Oh, wait. Well, we didn't have all this YouTube and... Uh celebrity nonsense that goes on now so who did they choose back then as a celebrity i'll, I'll give you some names in a moment you'll be yeah. surprised actually okay <laughs> um three celebrities would find themselves stranded on a planet across mm. the galaxy that looked remarkably like bbc studio land mm. um where in order to return to earth they must face a series of challenges and mental problems not mental problems but no, mental no. Problems. that's a whole different <laughs> show to acquire a crystal that can send them back home. Nice. Um, so it was essentially a, a kids' game show where actors played various parts of the aliens, and the celebrity mm. guests were the contestants, basically. And yeah. the conceit was they were on an alien planet and they had to try and get home. Was there a but plant in this? There was a plant, okay. but he wasn't a plant. Change himself into a plant. Right. Right. And they would change themselves in, and uh, the the aliens themselves looked like quote unquote dragons. <clears throat> they weren't like any dragons I've ever seen, but they were dragons. Hey, well, whoa, were... whoa, hold on for a second. How many dragons have you seen? I've seen. Well, I've I've seen a dragon. I've seen dragons. I've seen Dragonheart. I've seen Game of Thrones. Oh, fake dragons. I mean, these, in reality. Well, these 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 are fake fake dragons. They look like llamas. Maybe dragons in real life look like llamas. Possibly, 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 probably not. But um, so the highlight of the episodes was um, where the contestants had to cross the vortex, which was usually at the end of the episode, where they were if they stepped on the wrong spot where an alien entity existed, they would be disintegrated or something. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it was never quite a, clear. No, but it used the, the transporter secrets from Blake Seven or something. He did, he did, yeah. he did. He used a lot of the effects from Doctor Who and Blake Seven, I think, and the sound effects as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a bit static and rough by today's sort of standards, but it's fun seeing these celebrities okay. from, from our childhood looking really confused by everything that's going on around them. Most of them do. <laughs> so, so who were the celebrities in this episode? Well, some of the, the celebrities that I saw were Paul Darrow, from Blake's oh, excellent. Okay. All right. Moira Stewart. You remember her? Yeah. New Newsreader. Yeah. yeah. Johnny Ball. Absolutely. Yeah. Think of a number. And Maggie Philbin. Tomorrow's World. Yeah. So there you go. Excellent. Re actual cream. celebrities. Cream of more than they are now in yes. these kind of. Yeah. 
the cream of British t- TV. Let's not go overboard. <laughs> I mean, it was cheap and cheerful TV, but it, it did have a weird kind of, and I don't remember this, but from from but watching the episode that I saw on YouTube, it had kind of a weird Westworld vibe to it because the episode opened with a BBC commentator commentating on the celebrities being brought into um like the station where they were going to be beamed to the 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 planet Mm -hmm. as though it was real oh okay which i don't remember that but um, i don't remember that either yeah so yeah the adventure game from 1980 excellent choice now 6 p.m think bbc2 don't think original run think reruns repeats what we what's up what, what, what are you laughing at what what i think we might have a weird synchronicity going on here but go on oh i hope we do i hope we do because it's a show we both love and it's mm-hmm. a show that we've we've both have problems with recently yes yes <laughs> <laughs> so going with star trek star trek yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now the question is is this your 6pm? It is. Excellent. Oh, that's, that's that's great. So, I'm guessing we got two different episodes. How strange would it be if we didn't? It would be weird. Um, so, obviously, Star Trek in the 23rd century, Captain James T. Kirk and the crew of the USS Enterprise explore the galaxy and defend the United Federation of Planets. <laughs> and the episode I went for was season one. Oh no, we're different. We are different. Yeah, excellent. Episode 14, Balance of Terror. Oh, the submarine episode. Yes, the Enterprise must decide on its response when a Romulan ship makes a destructively hostile armed probe of Federation territory. It's a good... Yeah, it is. I think in style. This is the precursor to Wrath of Khan. Similar to Das Boot. It has the, the submarine angle where they're like testing each other and figuring out each other's motives. It has it has some annoying points. I don't like the uh, crew member we never see ever again or have never seen before who doesn't like Spock because... Racist guy. Yeah, he's, he's a bit irritating, but he's there for a reason. I find it interesting that when the Romulan ship fires at them, Kirk says... Reverse speed, full warp. The Enterprise can go warp backwards? Did not know that. This is the kind of thing you can get away with in the first season of a show where you're still finding your feet. Not when they just come out with stuff like that in Discovery. Yeah, yeah, true, true. But on the positive, you know, the acting's great. The story's fantastic. I also like the idea of the wedding. It begins with a wedding. But the the groom gets killed at the end, and Kirk Mm -hmm. has to deal with that, and that's how it finishes. Yeah, it it is a really good episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I picked season two, episode one, a mock time. Okay, so this is laying the groundwork for Spock. It is. It's the first time that we see Vulcan. It's the first time that we see the Vulcan salute, and it's the first time we hear "Live Long and Prosper." A lot of firsts. A lot of first. So the episode involves Spock suffering from Ponfire uh, and having to return to Vulcan to choose a wife. It results in a 
cracking fight to the death between Kirk and Spock. Does, does he get his tunic ripped? He may well do. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. They were very badly put together. Those tunics. Maybe, yeah. maybe even a, a red line. No, was it? Possibly a red line. Possibly. Oh. Chest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Chrissy's so. manly chest. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's a it's a fun episode. I like the whole Vulcan stuff that's going on. Um, I think Leonard Nimoy is fantastic in the episode, um, uh, and it's one that I always enjoy. Um, and any chance we, I always, I always enjoy the episodes. I love the episodes set on the Enterprise. But any chance you get to see, particularly a planet that that is such a big part of one of the characters, was always was always interesting because you didn't see it much in in original Trek. No, Vulcan's everywhere, isn't it? You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. But um, we should say as well why, why we both chose Star Trek at, for the six PM slot as well. I think because, and you can argue a different point, is that when we were growing up, Star Trek was rerun on BBC Two at six PM, and at that point, that was all the Star Trek we knew. There was no TNG at that point. Yeah, it's exactly what I was I was going to say as well. Yeah, right. it was my first exposure to Star Trek. Six yeah. o'clock. Absolutely, yeah. mine too. And we bought the videotapes, which was like two episodes on yes. a tape for like ten quid. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. That's all we had. Yeah. And even when TNG started in the states, we didn't have it for a while. Yeah, it was three seasons in before the BBC started to show it. Right, because yeah. I used to get videotapes of the episodes from various people and they'd been copied so many times that by the time that i got it it wasn't even in color so no i i borrowed those tapes off you and it was like watching ghosts play yeah the tracking was off there was no <laughs> color and, and we were sat there and let's bear in mind this is first season tng so this isn't even good tng and we just sat there, like going, "Wow, look at this!" Absolutely. Yeah. The original series is always my track. Even though we're later than the show, it's still all we knew. Well, it, it, I think because we were growing up in the late seventies, early eighties, when when this when we were first experienced Star Trek, it didn't feel old to us. No, no. But I would I would argue now that I watch TNG. Mm-hmm. And I watch original Trek. I would argue to you that TNG is dated more than original Trek because TNG looks like something from that time period. But original Trek is so like weird, colorful and different that it actually kind of looks like something that could be from the future. Yeah, I'd agree with you completely, 100% on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, think I think the problem with modern Trek, it does date very badly. Yeah, I think it's because... It has that brown and that soft furnishings look. Yeah, <laughs> like it's a. I always thought the the bridge of um, the Enterprise D looked like the receptioner of a hotel. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. I think that's why I like the 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 web series. You know, the the Star Trek continues. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That could be. Yeah. Uh, fun fact for you though, and I'm oh, sure you another one. Oh, hold on, I'm enjoying these. <laughs> We were talking about Star Trek being shown on the BBC. Um, I suppose you already know this. I know you do. But a lot of the episodes were heavily edited for in, in the UK. Yeah. And uh, some of them weren't even shown at all until years later because they were deemed too violent or disturbing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. 
Ah, good old BBC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing we've got of... holding our hands, eh? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the TNG episodes wasn't shown because it involves Irish terrorism. There was yes, and and that happened in Miami Vice as well, didn't it? There was there was some yes. Miami that wasn't shown yes. as well. Yeah. And Stasky Notch. Yeah. Simpler times. Well, they, they yes. weren't. They were very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right. Well, o'clock, are we? It's kind of fun that we both had the same for six p.m. So at seven, what are you going for, Paul? And I've gone for the second of my two game shows that I've chosen. Wow, I have no game shows in my list. Says it all, really, doesn't it? Not really. Just... <laughs> what does it say? We just said some fun. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So I've gone for an episode of... Wait, 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 wait. It's Michael Barrymore's, right? It's not, though. Oh. <laughs> I've gone for an episode of Blankety Blank. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. The Blankety Blank ran from 1979 to 2016. Yes, but which host are you going for? Well, I've gone for episode 23 from Can I stop you? Can I stop you? Can I guess? Go on. I'm thinking, now, personally, oh, do I? (laughs) I'm thinking you've gone for Terry Wogan. Wrong. Oh, you've gone for Les Dawson. I have. I've gone for a bit of Les. I've gone for episode... <laughs> shouldn't say that, though, should I? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, dear. I've gone, I've gone for a bit of Les Dawson. Episode 23 from season 7 in 1985. So we should really explain what Blankety Blank was, although I think most cultures had a... Version, a version of, it. of it. yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a long-running, very long-running BBC game show that was known for its cheap and nasty prizes and its sort of B celebrity, D celebrity guests that they had. Yeah, which they didn't hide; they made fun of. Absolutely. The idea was that contestants came on and had to fill in the blanks from phrases, with the help from a, a panel made up of uh, these celebrities. Um. It sounds terrible, and it was terrible, but what made it special was the interaction between the host and the celebrity panel. Right, yeah. And that dated all the way back to to when Terry Wogan used to do it with people like Kenny Everett coming on and bending his his massive um, microphone wand. Remember that? Yeah, they used to bend it in half. Absolutely. But, but, But the episode I chose was a Les Dawson episode because who doesn't like Les Dawson? Yep. Les was a, he was kind of, what would you say, he was deadpan in his delivery? Yeah, I'd go with that, yeah. He would insult the guests, he would insult the celebrities, he would insult the show, he would take... <laughs> it was almost like he really didn't want to be there, but exactly. he wasn't horrible about it. No, 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 not at all. It was all done in a way like like you were in on it with him like you yes. know this show's crap he knows it's crap he knows he knows that these these prizes are, are crap yeah yeah <laughs> you know um in a lot of ways it it it, it was very similar to uh, jim bowen on bullseye he was the same wasn't he he would he would he he knew it was yeah. rubbish i can see that yeah but he was he was 
he was a kind of comedian that was he was he could be witty when he wanted to be he could be bawdy and and saucy postcard humor couldn't he yeah um and he did wordplay as well and then sometimes he would do all three all at once yes yeah yeah he's really good at the show Mm. so it's 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 kind of les dawson that's that's made me pick this really more than the show itself Interesting. I, I always looked forward to watching Blankety Blank when Les Dawson was doing it, but but I, I did enjoy the Terry Wogan um, right. show. Different reasons, really, you know. Um, so the episode that I picked was had things like um, it was a moment where he's talking to a contestant about his time in America on a pig farm, and he asks, "Did you find it a long sty, or was it a bit of a bore?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. But I imagine he does a look to the camera. He did. He did. And he kind of looked that just kind of went, oh, I know it was rubbish, but <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's all I've got. Yeah. <laughs> right. And amongst the panel on the episode that I chose had um, Frank Carson. Okay. Sarah Green. Yes. I mean, oh. And good, good old Babs was on there as well, Barbara Windsor. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's only free. Anybody else? Oh, there we are. Um, That's Duncan, the, the, the highlights for you. Yeah, well, uh, Duncan, somebody or other. I can't remember Dun- his name. Duncan Goodhue. It might have been him. Yeah, the swimmer. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, it, it was just. I, I watched it and I laughed again. It was just funny, you know. Yeah, I, I occasionally watch them on. You find them on YouTube. Absolutely, I think it's a nice. It, it would be a nice way to ease into the into the early evening. I think with an episode of Blankety Blank. I I like that you've chosen these game shows. They never occurred to me. I do see them on YouTube, but I'm sitting around on my computer and I accidentally come across one and I watch it all. So I don't know why I don't make an effort to see them. Yeah, they're just memories for us, aren't they, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So what have have you got? Um, Well, slightly, because I've gone for 7 p.m., but Mm -hmm. in reality, I believe this was a 9 p.m. show on BBC Two. Usually, when it first started, it was after a weird comedy about short people. Okay, right. Yeah, but this is an American show, and it's called Moonlighting. (laughs) What was the comedy about short people, then? It's about that being short was illegal. I don't remember that at all. (laughs) Very, very short-lived British comedy show. It must have been short-lived. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, there's a lot of short stuff about it. <laughs> You're doing the gags for them, yeah. 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 And, I, and I watched all of Moonlighting, and I don't remember that. So. <laughs> yeah, so I went for Moonlighting. The quirky cases of a farmer model and a smart aleck detective who manage a private detective agency called Blue Moon. The Moonlighting was a massive part of our uh, childhood, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely! Yes, I think we used yeah. to we used to discuss the episode the day after, didn't we? Every every time we did, every time yeah. it was on. Yeah. yeah. So, which episode did you choose? I chose the last episode of the first season called "The Murders in the Mail." Remind um, me, I'll remember okay. it as you're describing. Right. Uh, so, David and Maddie do some moonlighting of their own for a debt collection agency. When Blue Moon is short of money, they discover that one of the debtors has been killed, but when they return with the police, the body has disappeared and a completely different man is at the scene claiming to be the client. 
This leads the duo to become involved in an assassination plot and in order to save the suspected victim, whom they know is a Chinese man with a mole on his nose, they must get into a formal dinner event where the successful effort to prevent the murder culminates in a huge food fight amongst all the event's attendees. I remember this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's classic yeah. moonlighting. This is also the show that introduced Bruce Willis to the world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Um, Sybil Shepherd is great in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one that has a, a food fight at the end of it, the chase sequence. It has a rhyming sequence. I mean, the first season and the second season and probably a bit of the third season are great, and then we go downhill after that. The beginnings of Moonlighting, there's some stuff in there that we've probably never seen before on television. Right, And yeah. even when the show was going through things like the writer's strike, they would they would bring that into the show. Yeah, the episode "The Great Poop." Yes, <laughs> is the one where they say like, "There's no episode; it's a writer strike," and then it's just an an interview of Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd as David Harrison and Maddie Hayes, mm-hmm. and like it's interviewing them about how why don't they like each other and what they're doing, and then there's also that. The question that she asks at the end where she she asks David Addison, Bruce Willis, what what happened to your hair? Because <laughs> obviously throughout this uh, Moonlight, he starts to lose, Bruce Willis loses his hair throughout that season. Yeah, mm. yeah. And wasn't there an episode where um, it ran short, so they had a bit of a sing-along? Yes, there is. That, the uh, brought in the camera crew and, yes. and they were talking to the audience. Yeah, and then there's the episode where the the uh, the bad guy does a runner as it does in most American shows of this period, but he doesn't run away down streets. He runs off set, <laughs> and they end yeah. up chasing him through the studios. Yeah, I th- there was so much in Moonlighting that that, as I said, you just didn't see in other shows. And and it's weird Moonlighting because it's one of those shows that I, I very rarely ever think about. But when right. when when you do think about it, you think, oh, I really must have another look at that. I think it's because it went so terrible towards the end. Yeah, that was, wasn't that when Sybil Shepherd got pregnant and and they hated each other. And Bruce Willis yeah. wanted a film career. They're very early in scenes together, weren't they? Right, right. And some episodes are not even them at all. It's it's the other two, uh, DePesto. Oh, and, and Bert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So but, I, I imagine those yeah. stick in your mind and that's what leaves you a bad taste and why you don't go back to it. But if you watch the first season, second season, it's fantastic. Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Definitely Moonlighting was a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Silver mm. Shepherd, who wouldn't? <laughs> well, not... No, not Bruce Willis. He clearly. No, oh, no. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> ah, okay, Moonlighting. So I, I'm still at half seven. Okay, so you go ahead. So I've gone for an episode of Porridge from 1974 to 1977. Excellent. What episode? Oh, Archer. describe the show. <laughs> well, the show was, um, it tells the, the tells of the prison life of Fletcher, who's serving five years. And all he wants to do is just bide his time, keep his nose clean, and be not be ground down by the system. And each week, he and his cellmate, Godber, would get involved in various schemes and, you guessed it, shenanigans. 
Oh, your favourite word. Yeah. Did they did they ensue? They did ensue, yes. Oh, um, it starred Ronnie Barker, Brian Wilde, Fulton Mackay and Richard Beckinsdale. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just possibly for me, I think it's like the finest example of a British sitcom. Yeah. Everything yeah. works in it. Everything yeah. works in it. The writing works, the acting works. Um even the 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 bad BBC sets work, right. and it kind of helped that they because they would they would do that thing that that TV British TV did back then where they would intercut between stuff that they'd shot in an actual prison and then stuff that they would that was clearly in a in a set. So you're and, saying it switched between 16mm film and videotape. And it never blended well. <laughs> no. <laughs> but all, that, that all made it work, I think. That was, that was one of the things that made it work. Um, the episode that I picked was episode four from season one, A Day Out. Okay. This is the episode where uh, Fletch and Godber are on an a outside works party. Um, I think they're digging a digging a uh, some kind of some where they're going to plant pipes or something or other i can't remember exactly um when ives one of the party um is stung by a bee and fletch persuades mr barraclough one of the guards to let him go down to the village to get ointment but instead he just goes to have a few pints and uh, in the pub and then he comes back uh, and then the gang then takes shelter in a church during a thunderstorm and um, Mr. Mackay thinks that they've all done a runner. Hmm. And most of the episode is set in the church. Okay. Um, I think this episode just is the show at its best. I think um, Ronnie Barker's never done anything better than, than Porridge. Um, he's, Ronnie Barker's just perfect as, as Fletcher. I mean, he's sarcastic. Um, he's, he's also gets a chance to show his acting as well because there's times where there's quite a lot of pathos between Godber and um, and Fletcher, isn't there, at times? I kind of think that's something that distinguished British comedy from other countries. The switch between... Yeah. There's always, like, a darkness about it. Definitely. There's a comedy show that I, all, I had on this list for a while and then I removed, which I can mention as, like... Uh, Things mm-hmm. that should have been included that has a darkness about it. You gonna tell me? Oh, I can tell you now if you want. It was Hancock's Half Hour, but that has a darkness about it because he's such a dispiriting character. Yeah, everything that goes wrong in his life is brought about by him, and I think that's a very British thing. It is. I think that Ronnie Barker was one of those comedy actors that he he could switch from doing really well-written, clever wordplay gags mm-hmm. to just, you know, full-on, bawdy, rude comedy. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. But it was never it was never rude in a way where it was, it didn't have any, it was a class to it. Yeah. Um, and his chemistry with um, uh, Fulton Mackay was, um, was just priceless, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've never done porridge in a podcast, but we have done a joke from porridge. Ron, remind me. It's appeared in uh, Never Say Never Again. It's the same gag. Oh, 
remember. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's that's that says it all about porridge, really, doesn't it? That you can just mm-hmm. chuck stuff like that in. There's not many comedy shows that you can do that from. No. Um, there was a sequel done to Porridge, wasn't there? Going straight. Going straight. Um, yeah. It's okay. It's all right. It's just it, it's got a a lot to live up to to Porridge, and and it doesn't quite manage it. It's like when those British comedies did a film and they went abroad. Yes, it is like that, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The idea is that, that it's it's Fletcher having been released from prison and what does he do next kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, um, but yeah, those porridge, constraints of prison, it loses yeah. something. It, it, yeah, it takes it all the way. But, yeah, Porridge is, for me, um, it's, just, it's just the best example of british sitcom comedy that that you can find really i think nice no argument about that excellent so what time are you up to now 8 p.m okay so am i so you go for it all right so for a while 8 p.m i had two different shows and it was pretty much a toss of a coin which one i went for Mm -hmm. and i went for the professionals was the other one the sweeney yes Totally. <laughs> it's going to be one or the other. Yep. I decided to go for this. And I went for season four, episode nine, Slosh Fund. Now, The Professionals features Bodie and Dial, top agents for Britain's CI5, which is Criminal Intelligence Section 5, apparently, and the controller, George Cowley, and they fight terrorism and similar high-profile crimes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, occasionally the episodes are, you're like, why are they investigating this? <laughs> Yeah, you had to do a lot of that, didn't you? You had to just put it aside and just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, in this one, the fun fighter is a warplane manufactured in Eastern Europe, but it's a death trap, and several pilots have been killed whilst flying it. A British reporter discovers this fact and aims to leak the story to the press, but has a hitman, Van Niekerk, in pursuit. It is down to the professionals to ensure that the killer does not get his prey and the story is published. It's a good episode because one of the interesting things about it is that Bodie totally blows up at Cowley, which you don't see in previous episodes. Like, he totally loses it at Cowley and he's like, you want my resignation, you got it, that kind of thing. And there's the fun thing of watching uh, two uh, joyriders steal a car and they drive it over a hill unbeknownst to them Doyle is trapped in the uh, boot of the car. And as the car goes down a hill, these two joyriders turn into shop-bought mannequins. <laughs> Heightened by the fact that the mannequin in the driver's seat, its head falls off. <laughs> well, that was a, a common uh, a common byproduct of, of a car career in Dana. That it was it was at that time, yes. yes. Yeah, it's a dangerous time for heads. But the uh, the story's the story's really good. There's, there's lots of really snappy dialogue between Bodie and Doyle, and there's the great action sequences. It's a really good episode. I like it. Um, I like the professionals. Obviously, it works because of the two leads. When they redid it as the new professionals, that wasn't as good. No. No, wasn't Edward Woodward in that? 
Edward Woodward took over the Cowley kind of role. Yes. For that yeah. one, yeah. The weird thing about Professionals is the first season is quite different from the other seasons. In what way? There's no banter between the two leads in the first season. Clearly, in the second season, they're much more relaxed. And it's almost like they're ad-libbing. I'm not yeah. sure if they are. I don't know if they are or not. Um, Could be a case of two actors, you know, just becoming comfortable with each other and, and the roles becoming more of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so if anyone was going to watch The Professionals, I'd watch a later one rather than yeah. the first season one to get the feel of the show. Um, it's interesting you say that because I've tried to go back and watch The Professionals a few times and I always stumble over the first season. Once I get past it, then I can start to blitz the episodes a bit more, but the first season, it, it, it slows me right down. Yeah. I can only do like one or two and then I've got to stop. Yeah, because they have that where they're, they're very like, strict to the script and there's mm. no like wordplay or fun between them and also Cowley's slightly different in that he has a leg injury in the first season which disappears in the later mm-hmm. seasons my other choice would have been the Sweeney at this point though for me the the very interchangeable shows um uh, in as much as the fact that they remind me of a particular time of a particular yes. Of 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 quite violent TV, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the the Sweeney is the more innovative of the shows because it's the first one that actually used sixteen millimeter cameras all the time, constantly filmed on streets. And the episode of the Sweeney that I watched because I was going to put it in here, it's, there's this moment where he's in a market, and um, Regan is talking to this woman who called him about some information. And it's clearly a public market that they've not closed down because people are like, oh, there's a camera there. <laughs> and then one guy comes into the market and starts pointing at things. And like, and you can see that a woman goes up to him who's clearly, if you watch it, you won't know if you've just seen the show, but you watch it carefully. You can see that she's part to the production and she's telling him basically, can you piss off? because he's like oh okay and he walks away and then she hurries off it's clearly like filmed total every scene is in the wild like there's just people around don't you think that's kind of a uniquely 70s thing because we've seen that before we've kind of seen it in um we we saw hints of it in starsky and hutch we saw a bit of it in brannigan when we did brannigan um where you would see crowds of people just standing around watching them filming you don't see that anymore, do you? No, no, it's all controlled now. It's like it's bordering on chaos. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and I remember seeing a um, outtake from the Sweeney where it had the camera crew laying on the floor, pointing upwards with the cameras, hanging from something to try and get the shot. And it was like they just did it because they had these small 16mm cameras. It was the first mm. time they had them. And they were like, yeah, let's just do this, see what happens. <laughs> so Sweeney is more innovative but Professionals is kind of fun it's fun because Lewis Collins and Manish are really good at it yeah yeah I would would agree with you on that yeah definitely definitely so we're up to 8 o'clock that was my 8 o'clock I'm up to 9 so it's you to go okay so I've picked an episode of Kolchak the Night Stalker from 1974 (laughs) 1975 wow I just love this show. Really? 
I, I never heard you mention this until recently. So you loved it well, so much that for thirty odd years you never talked about it. Well, we've we've already discovered that there's things about you I've just found out. Yeah. Why would I talk to you about a show that deals with vampires and things like that? I'm not going to talk to you about that, am I? Because you, you, you never know, shut the fuck up about vampires. <laughs> that's, vampires and superheroes—that's that's it for you. That's your life. <laughs> if we ever, I mean, I mean, a superhero vampire killer. Oh my god, you must be like ejaculating your pants. <laughs> no, but if it happened, I would. Yeah. Um, so Kolchak follows um, a newspaper reporter that investigates supernatural occurrences in Chicago. Um, it stars Darren McGavin as Kolchak, uh, Simon Oakland, Jack Greenwich, and John Fieldler. What you said about I've never mentioned this show before. Well, I, I discovered the show back in, in the 90s, off the back of the X-Files. Okay. And I was a massive fan of the X-Files, and that's something that I, d- I never really talked to you about either, the X-Files. What? We never used to talk about the X-Files. you constantly forcing episodes <laughs> on me and videotape that you taped Was off I? the TV. But does this, Beauty and the Beast <laughs> and friggin' Highlander are the free shows you never stop trying to make me watch? I don't remember that. Anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> I only ever watched X-Files because you kept telling me to. How did that go for you? I Well, I never watched them all. <clears throat> I watched them sporadically. Yeah. Neither have I, to be honest. No, certainly not the new ones. Oh, you, you, you must have watched the Lucy Lawless ones, though. Yeah, I saw those, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whole different reason. So, in fact, Chris Carter, the creator of the X-Files, he actually cites Kolchak as one of his inspirations for, for the X-Files. Oh, all right, all right, okay. And I think, actually, um, Darren McGavin actually turned up in an ex- episode of the X-Files as well. Um, I like it. McGavin's great. He's he's um, He plays Kolchak, who's like a scruffy reporter. He's not very brave, and yet his curiosity always seems to get the better of him. Um, and that often leads him into these dangerous situations where he's he's facing off against demons, witches, vampires, all manner of things, conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Um, the the TV show was commissioned on the back of two TV movies. Right. Um, I, I've seen both of the TV movies. Yeah, it was the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler. Strangler. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which are both very good. Yeah, I like them. I've seen them. Um, I think it looks it looks great. It's it's one of those fantastic snapshots of nineteen seventies America. Mm, okay, it's one of the, I like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so the episode I've chosen is um, the episode The Ripper. Uh, and in this episode, um, we follow Kolchak as he investigates an immortal serial killer who turns out to be the original Jack the Ripper. Ah. Mm. Now, is, you were talking about um, 70s shows and about how they were done on the fly. Right. This isn't this isn't quite like that, but it does have something that we talked about when we did Starsky and Hutch. Um, you know, we were talking about how every role in Starsky and Hutch, even the little roles, were, were given something. They were they yes. were, were written as though they were real people. They always had yeah. some kind. Of, it's the same with this show. 
all the little characters that, that pop up that he because he goes and in, in, talks to lots of people as a reporter they're all written very um realistically they all feel like characters and not just there to just service the story kind of thing right um for example he he, he goes to see a um uh, a mortician who won't tell him anything until he um buys a couple of um tickets from a numbers racket that he's running on dead bodies as they come into the into the into the mortuary um so that's one of the, well, that, that's one of the reasons why i like it is because it it, it it stands out a lot from those kind of shows that were around at that time particularly uh, any kind of supernatural shows because there weren't many of them around in the mm. 70s um it did get a reboot in 2005 but it got cancelled after about 10 episodes oh. it was it was rubbish <laughs> so yeah kolchak and you don't you I presume you're being quiet because you don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the actual series before, so I should it's, check it out sometime. There's only one season. Okay. It's a full season of you know American TV. 20, Twenty-five season. episodes, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. about that. So, but it's worth having a look. Yeah. Okay. They're not all great. Right? I'll I will say that, but the the ones right. that are good are really good. Okay. So Nine p.m. What do you got? Well, I'm going for a comedy. Oh, all right. And I'm going for bottom. Of course. I mean, of course, you didn't see this coming. No, but I can see why you would pick it. And I'm I'm quite annoyed that I didn't think of it as well, to be honest. Two perpetually barred and broke flatmates waste their days in a futile struggle to get laid, earn cash, and not kill one another. Oh, sounds familiar. So it's... Uh, it's uh, Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson, and I've gone for the episode Apocalypse, which is the fourth episode of the first <laughs> series. After inheriting from his recently deceased Auntie Olga 600 quid, Richie and Eddie head off down the funfair where Richie's wallet gets stolen, and Richie learns from a fortune teller that he's going to die in three nights. And Eddie and Richie set out to prevent Richie's fate, and Richie is visited by the Grim Reaper. <laughs> this is where he's on stilts, isn't it? Yeah, that's why it's because he's because <laughs> he's just it's just Eddie in <laughs> disguised yeah. as the Grim Reaper, and it does this like I don't really watch Bottom because um, it's got great wordplay. I watch it because of the kind of slapstick and the violence, but this actually has good wordplay too. Mm. This is one of my favorite episodes. The other being the Christmas special, Murray. You just pick the two episodes that are my favourites as well. Yeah, they are good episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this one, we get the, there's. I mean, it begins with them walking at a goldfish, which is dead. The, the, so, and they're like, "Are you sure it's dead? Well, it's not moving." And they're like, "Well, should we fry it or should we broil?" <laughs> like, <laughs> that, but there's this great scene where, um, so so Richie's scared of the full moon because he thinks he's going to die, mm-hmm. and he says to Eddie. Go, go go to the window and, and look and see if it's a full moon. And he's like, I can't do that because people will mistake me for uh, Sean Connery. <laughs> because he doesn't look anything like Sean Connery. And Richie's like, you don't look like Sean Connery. He's like, hello, my name is James Bond, <laughs> which is not a Sean Connery impression whatsoever. <laughs> and he just keeps going. He's like, 
don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes. He's like, you know, if they kept their eyes shut, they'd never have died. Not a lot of people know that. It's totally nonsense. It's great. A lot of it's done to camera as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, so there's a, actually, there's a, so there's a few shows in this that break the fourth wall in my list. But this is just, it, it's it's terrific between the two of them. It is, and I think it's, um, it, as much as I like the young ones, this is far superior to the young ones. Well, I think people would argue with you with you about that but i think the young ones came slightly before us and i think this is what we grew up with yeah it hasn't dated very well the young ones right whereas bottom Mm. is just like ah it's the violence of two people who think they're more above the station than what they are and then they're never going to get what they dream of it's the hopelessness that we all face in our lives well, that's just depressed me. <laughs> <laughs> you got to say as well that I, you, you can so see that Rick Mayle and Edward Ebbson just knew each other back to front, didn't they? The way that they, they, they just go with each other. Yeah. I mean, they started off as the Dangerous Brothers. Yes. <laughs> Setting each other on fire. Which is pretty much, an ex- this is an extension of that. It is. Similar it is. characters. And it's great. I, I like the gag where... Um, he says, like, turn the TV on, see what time it is. He turns it on and there's a the neighbor's theme tune. And he just mm. turns it off and goes, well, could be any time, really. Because <laughs> back then, neighbor's was on like three times a day. Day, yeah. I always, I, it always amused me how um, Eddie's on a perpetual hunt for, the, for his next pint all the time, isn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Familiar, Paul? Not at all. No, 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 no. Don't know what you mean. Okay. Yeah, and then because when Death visits, it's just Eddie on stilts, and 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 Death wants uh, what does he want? He wants Richie's money, obviously, but then he also wants his issue of Girly World that he keeps underneath the bed. <laughs> yeah, with the is it the the, uh, the picture uh, the nudie picture with with um is Suzanne <laughs> Dando? Is it? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Head stuck on the top of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great show. It really it is. is. Yeah. yeah, and I can I can watch him again and again. It's still funny. What one of my other other favorite episodes of Bottom is the one where they're stuck indoors and they're, they're trying to play chess, but they haven't got all the pieces because Eddie's sold most of his ant of Richie's antique chess piece set away. Right. Have to use things like a Spider Man toy and um, a potted plant and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So 9pm. Okay, so I'm, I'm down to my last two because I've got a couple of movies to round the night off with. Oh, yeah, I've only got three, so that works. So I've got a movie at 9pm. This will come out of the blue for you. Oh, it's not Debbie Does Dallas again. <laughs> not again, no, no, no. I've that for a while. I've chosen The Phantom of the Paradise from 1974. Directed by Brian De Palma. Oh, okay. Surprised you, didn't it? It it surprised me that it... Yeah, but no, because it's just... It's a horror film. It's not a horror film. Yeah, it is. It's It's a musical, actually. 
Is it musical horror? Musical horror, yeah. I stab you. Comedy horror musical. You've never seen it, have you? No. No, you. <laughs> so, Phantom of the Paradise is one of my favourite movies of all time. Okay. I actually mm-hmm. have it on Blu-ray. In fact, I've owned it a few times actually on various formats. <laughs> okay. Definitely one it's, you like then. It stars Paul Williams, William Finley, Jessica Harper, Garrett Graham. And the plot is a disfigured composer sells his soul for the woman that he loves so that um, she will perform his music. But an evil record tycoon betrays him and steals his music to open his rock palace, The Paradise. Do you know what, do you know what it reminded me of? Streets of Fire, right. I watched Streets of Fire for the episode many moons ago. Mm-hmm. In my mind, the closest thing to it was this. And, okay. and they're very different films, but, but, but they're both kind of out there, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I've loved this film since I saw it probably about 30 years ago. Um, I think it was one of the things, it was on late at night on BBC Two. It was like a really obscure, could have been a movie drone movie. Do you remember movie drone? Yes, I do. Alex Cox? Alex Cox, yeah. It's completely bonkers, this film. It's got some fantastic musical numbers. It's got Paul Williams, um, who... (laughs) What can you say about Paul Williams? He, he's just, he's just odd. <laughs> he's the little guy. If you, if you, you don't know who he is, do you? If you if you saw, it, if I showed you a picture of Paul Williams, you yeah, go, oh, that guy. Know him, right, yeah. yeah. Um, it's got that weird nineteen seventies nastiness about it as well. You know that even in like comical scenes, like for example, when the composer Winslow is basically being beaten and tortured, it's still done in a sort of darkly funny way as well mm. okay um paul williams swan character is probably one of the he should be up there as one of the greatest villains of, of all time in cinema um mm. and i just find the fact that brian de palma directed it it's just mind-boggling <laughs> why it just doesn't seem like a film that brian de palma would do okay i mean it's a, it's a, it's it's got a cracking soundtrack even if you don't watch the movie, you should look, check out the soundtrack. It's on Spotify. Um, um, the film itself, it riffs on things like, obviously, Phantom of the Opera, but also um, Faust, Frankenstein, Dorian Gray, Edgar Allan Poe. It's just got so much in it. Oh, interesting. I'll check it out. It was a box office flop when it came out. <laughs> oh, all right. I can see why you like it. And it's also found itself in multiple lawsuits over the years, including one from um, Marvel, believe it or not. Because? Because Marvel have a character called the Phantom, and they tried to sue them over it. What? Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. It's Marvel. Okay. All right. That's... <laughs> All right. So have they sued the Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> I don't think they could do that, no. Is, I think Phantom is, of the Opera is the main, is, isn't it? Is the Phantom that Billy Zane plays, is that the Marvel character? No, it's a different character, I think. Different oh, character. they sued them too? Probably. No, in Marvel, they probably have. Yeah. All right. Uh, but, yeah, Phantom of Paradise, check it out. Wow. All right, okay. so my 9.30 is... Miami Vice. No. Oh, right, okay. Callan. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you always depressed when I tell you what I've chosen? <laughs> <laughs>
No, that, that was a depressed sigh. That was a, oh, yeah, Callan sigh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, so David Callan is a top agent slash assassin for the security service, British counterintelligence, but he is an embittered man who performs his duties for Queen and Country under duress. And I chose season two, episode 15, Death of a Hunter. Now, is this when the show was in black and white? Yes. This is the last episode in black and white. The um, black and white series were the best ones, I think. Uh, okay. I can't. I, I don't have an opinion about that. Mm-hmm. I have ones that I like that are color and black and white. Um, this one's. Even the title is interesting because Death of a Hunter, the person that is in charge of Callan is always called Hunter, no matter who it is. It's like yeah. C or M in the James Bond films. So it's mm-hmm. death of a hunter, meaning him, but also Callan is a hunter because that's his job. So yeah. it has two meanings, title. And this one is captured by the KGB. Callan is drugged, brainwashed, and released with instructions to kill Hunter. He obeys. But who actually dies? Hunter, Mears, or Callan? Who gets shot? In the process, most of this episode is an excellent performance from Edward Woodward because he's brainwashed and being tortured throughout most of it, and it is really good. Mm-hmm. But he was he Edward Wood was one of those actors that could do really tough, but then he could do really um, vulnerable as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you know, there's there's certain lead actors that that when you see them put in a compromising position, it doesn't sit right with you. But Edward Woodward was never one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and this is a interesting episode because it plays with the idea of who Callan is and what his job is and why he does what he has to do. Uh, also, we see Mears actually care a bit more for Callan than we've seen in previous episodes because it's it's Mears' fault that Callan is in this position. Yeah. And then the ending, well, you don't know what's going to happen because he shoots Hunter at the end of it. He does. Yeah, he kills hunter at the end of this episode so where do we go from that one then we we so have I'll... <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry maybe i, I shouldn't say this <laughs> no go on <laughs> oh well well then we go we go into the color series and then callan is back but it's a different hunter because remember hunter is not a person it's just a name that's used oh. for a different actor hunter changes like three times in the black and white series once without even mentioning it, why he's changed. But we don't we don't get any comeback on on Callan killing the previous hunter then. No, because Callan's brainwashed and they know that it wasn't really right. Callan. But the suspicious of Callan. Mm-hmm. That's why the the color episode is also redone as the film as well. Oh right, yes, okay, yes. Yes. Where they're suspicious of Callan, and they're not sure whether he's up to the task of being back in the department again. And he's a bit twitchy. Yeah, and that's yeah. because of what happened previously, in that he killed Hunter. Uh, right. And then, of course, later on in in uh, Callan, he becomes Hunter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, so. Callan is a great show. Yeah. Yeah. And Edward Woodward's yeah. always—he's one of those actors that you can just watch in anything, isn't he? Yes, definitely. Yeah, he's, he's in one of my favourite horror movies of all time, The Wicker Man. He's fantastic. Oh, yeah. The Wicker That's Man. true. Yeah. yeah. Mhm. Yes. And the Equaliser. Yeah. So, and this is a good um, 
double bill with the sandbaggers. Yes, I can. From what you've said about the sandbaggers, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, excellent, Callan. Good choice. Thank you. So that goes to ten thirty, and my second and last film, and it is Get Curter, but not the original. I'm going for the still. No, no. <laughs> Right, that's over. We're done. <laughs> you can fuck this episode right off. <laughs> when his brother dies under mysterious circumstances in a car accident, London gangster Jack Carter travels to Newcastle to investigate. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Well, technically, it's it's, it's true. It's, it's accurate to a certain. It's just it leaves a lot out. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds weird. All right. Yeah, so this is a Michael Caine film. Yep. And is excellent gangster film. It is. It, it's got that thing that I was talking about, about how um, films from that period just drop you straight into into that world, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Michael Caine's character is not particularly, he's not a particularly nice person, is he? But yeah, no, he, not at all. You do uh, support him. Yeah, you definitely root for him. So yeah, it's one of my favourite films. And it's a movie that I can watch again and again. It, it's got a weird uh, view of... Um, or insight into uh, northern life as well, hasn't it? Back back in the early 70s. It's a very yeah. northern situated movie, isn't it? Yeah, because apparently... Well, it's northeast, right? Because Newcastle, so... In theory, he's going back to Newcastle, although obviously doesn't sound like he's from Newcastle. <laughs> he's lost his accent. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's tried to fit in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. I love the scene where um, where the people turn up at the house after he's just. I think it's when he's just done, you know, the housey father with the uh, landlady, and he just walks outside, where, holding the shotgun on the two guys, completely naked. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because he doesn't care, does he? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I, I would put the get Carter in on another day. I would, I would put it on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm kind of annoyed. I didn't think of it. Yeah. <laughs> Great soundtrack as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Mhm. And the ending. You, you wouldn't get away with that ending today. No, you wouldn't. No, and we're not going to spoil it. But it's a good ending. No, we won't spoil it. No, it's a good ending. So shall I do my final? Yeah, and then I have one more too, so we're good. So 10.30, my final viewing pleasure. And you knew it was going to be one eventually, don't you? And I left it till the end because it's uh, it's fitting for the end of the night when it's not, it's dark and it uh, and it's a bit spooky. Depressing. <laughs> and you want to end it. I've picked The Horror of Dracula from 1958. <sighs> Hammer production. Why, Paul? I'll tell you why. I couldn't let the day go without including a Hammer movie. And Dracula, it's not just my favourite Hammer movie. It's probably my favourite Dracula movie of all time. And you know I like my Dracula movies. You love your Dracula movies. I do, I do. Um, it stars Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Michael Goh. Melissa Striebling and Carol Marsh and the plot, if I need to actually tell you the plot. Jonathan Harker accepts a job at the Vampire's Castle under false pretenses, forcing his uh, colleague, Dr. Van Helsing, to destroy the Count 
when he targets Harker's loved ones. Mm. This is the first time that Christopher Lee plays Dracula, the first time that Peter Cushing plays Van Helsing. Um, it's the second, uh, well, not the second movie there, but it's the it's the movie that came after the first Frankenstein movie. Um, so it was kind of a logical thing that they would they would do Dracula after Frankenstein. Right, yeah. Um, it, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's shot in a way that it just illustrates what Hammer could do with very little money and still make it look like it cost $10 million at the time, you know, when it probably cost about 350 quid, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah. Um, and up to that point, it's got... We, we'd never seen Dracula played this way before, Um you know, it was it was an audience that was used to things like Bela Lugosi. Okay. Um, and in this, you've got Dracula being terrifying, seductive, sorrowful, kind of everything that we've come to recognise in modern vampire movies as well came from this movie, I think. Ah, so you're saying that the the modern interpretation of Dracula doesn't come from the books, but comes from the Hammer interpretation of the books. Absolutely, absolutely, okay. I think, yeah. Um. You know I like Peter Cushing. I won't go on about it again. Do you? I, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, he was the star at the time as well, not Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee was kind of not very well known. James Bernard's score as well. It's it's probably one of the best scores in any Hammer film. Hmm. Um, and everyone remembers the finale where Cushing leaps across the table and grabs the the, the, the drapes and pulls them down and then picks up the candlesticks and Christopher Lee crumbles into dust. At the I'd table. forgotten it. You'd forgotten it. They, <laughs> the final shot of the movie actually is one that they stole for um, Flash Gordon. They did, they did the exact same shot of the, the handprint of the dust floating away and the ring just left on the floor. Okay. Um, and I also think it's a masterclass in how restrictions of budget force writers to take a book like Dracula and, and adapt it in a way that sometimes leads to a more clear cinematic vision of a piece of work. Right. Because they didn't have the money to do the to, to do the book, so they had to truncate it a lot. And that book's very flawed anyway. It's overly long, and it goes in places where you don't need to go. And to strip it back the way that they did for this film makes it a better story i think wow so yeah it's 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 probably my favorite hammer movie okay yeah not, not a lot left for you to say there is <laughs> no not really because you, you haven't talked about anything else that enthusiastically <laughs> i do love a hammer yeah you do love a hammer my final thing is a uh it's a tv show mm-hmm and what, what have we been missing, pal? What have we Miami been missing? Vice. Miami yes, Vice. Yes, Miami Vice. What have we gone for? Well, we've gone for season two, episode 12, definitely Miami. Oh, right, okay. You have to remind me which, what, which one that is. Crockett finds out firsthand about Charlie Bassett as a violent drug runner with an enticing wife that Sonny just can't get out of his mind. So, there are actually two cases in this. Tubbs is working the actual case, but then Crockett is trying to get this woman away from her violent drug runner husband. But he actually knows he's being played 
as mm-hmm. well. And a lot of great music, obviously, it's Miami Vice. Has some fantastic lines like those. Oh, yeah. So it's really hot in this episode. Like everybody is sweating to death in this episode. And Sonny's like, ah, it's so hot you could fry an egg on my face. And Tubbs is like, I hope I never get that hungry. <laughs> but in the office, everybody is sweating, dripping. It's hot. Castillo, not a single bead of sweat. It's a cool customer, isn't it? Yeah, there's just nothing at all. <laughs> it's clearly done on purpose. He's clearly said, I'm not sweating for this. That tracks with what we know about um, Edward James Olmos. And uh, yeah. we talked about the episode that we did about Miami Vice, whereas he he, he was very, he had a very singular way of playing uh, Castillo, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's just great. Because you notice it immediately, you're like, why is this guy now sweating? Uh, at the beginning the Crockett and Tubbs are sitting waiting for somebody to show up and this is we're early in the second season but we're already starting to get this feeling of like they're just like oh why do we do this it's just a waste of time it's pointless Mm -hmm. and they're watching and they're seeing this woman in a bikini and they're just staring at her and and Tubbs is like to Crockett you need to really stop eye rolling at this point. And because he says like, you, you need to stop eye rolling because you're going to sprain something. And crack is like a sprain in the right places. That's okay. It's when it leads to something worse than a sprain. And then Tubbs is like, he's like, ah, I need to stop looking because at some point she's going to confuse the humidity for my sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's just a lot of like like lines between them and it's good stuff. There's there's so many good lines in Miami Vice and 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 the interplay between um, Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas yeah. uh, made it work. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting I, actually because I I almost picked Miami Vice as well, okay. um, but I knew you would, so I didn't I didn't pick <laughs> it. And and it was interesting the fact that I was going to pick a season two episode as well. Oh, okay. I was going to do the two power, Prodigal Son. All right. That's, okay, episode one, episode two. Yeah. Then this episode finishes um, with Tubbs's deal going completely wrong with this other, this fly-by-night cop who's trying to lead it. It just screws up and it's ruined. Meanwhile, Crockett, who's, he's kind of falling in love with this woman because she's kind of weird and mysterious, but she's playing everybody. Mm-hmm. And he goes and walks down the beach to arrest her. And he doesn't say anything to her. And she's just like, oh, we could just go away and find another beach somewhere. We could be nice together. And he says nothing. And then this helicopter lands and these two uniformed cops get out. And she realizes that he's, she's being arrested. And now they take her away. And all Cracky does is just put his sunglasses on. Yeah. There's no dialogue at yeah. all from him whatsoever. Yeah. And then as she's been led away to the police helicopter, you see her put her arm around the police officer. Because mm-hmm. now she's going to start playing him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And Crockett just walk, just turns and just walks away. And there's no dialogue at all from him yeah. at all. And then the episode finishes. And it's just perfect Miami Vice ending. There's no denouement. There's no like, ah, ah everything's going to be back to normal next week. It's just like, boom, we're done. There's no Romano selling a penguin. 
<laughs> there's no there's no hutch after his girlfriend's been killed bowling with a new girlfriend <laughs> yeah and the Miami Vice did that a lot didn't they those scenes that had no dialogue whatsoever but yet told you so much with just the visuals and the music yeah uh, there's one I remember that finishes with tubs tied to a bed screaming as a woman's about to kill him and Crockett mm. shoots her and then it just goes Duff, end. <laughs> You're like, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Miami Vice is. Um, I mean, we. I think it was a. We did. It's the only thing that we've done a two-part episode. Yeah, on. that's true, right? Yeah. Yeah, we both love Miami Vice. Yeah. So I finished the night with a happy Miami Vice episode. <laughs> As um. A 10-year-old or 11-year-old, whichever, I guess 11 when this came out. That's how I would finish a Monday night because that was the last thing that was on, 10 to 11 p.m., bedtime. Yeah, definitely. Same for me as well. Yeah. Yep. yep. So that's our perfect day, each of uh, isolation television. <laughs> and that's it for this special episode of Retrospection. And we're back with our normal service sometime soon. In the meantime, you can email your suggestion to retrospection at email.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter at Retrospecky, and on Instagram at Retrospection Podcast, all one word. And please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen. You can also hear the themes and songs from the films and shows we review at our Spotify playlist. And finally, if you'd like to support our old episodes and help new ones coming along, then you can lower our server costs by supporting us via patreon.com slash retrospection. Thank you to our current Patreon supporters who make sure another month goes by that Paul doesn't have to take up that second job as a coronavirus vaccine tester, even though he doesn't like syringes. But doesn't mind a little prick now and again thank you for listening goodbye bye (laughs) (laughs) that was was an epic one wasn't it